Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Your Ben Jarofsky show for Tuesday, July 30th is moments away. But before we get into that, we need to thank the following unions for jumping on board and helping bring back our program. First up, it's the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local 126 and District 8. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9. And the International Union of Operating Engineers, that number's Local 150. A shout-out to those unions for jumping on board and helping bring back our program. And, of course, today's show is brought to you by our good friends at the Chicago Federation of Labor. The Ben Jarofsky Show starts now. It is Tuesday, July 30th. And live from the Chicago Sun-Times, <laughs> Chicago Reader Studio on Racine yeah. Avenue, this is the Ben Jarofsky Show. Today on the program, author and photographer Danielle DeGrasse-Alston will join us. Our favorite grassroots organizer, Amisha Patel, with mystery guest returns. And activist Galen Alcarez. And now your host, Chicago Reader columnist, Ben Jarofsky. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Martini Man Tuesday. And here's why. Great week. You have a good weekend, D. Yeah. Fantastic weekend. Great weekend, man. Let me tell you what I did. I saw Quentin Tarantino's movie, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, 452 times. Oh, sorry. Yeah. (laughs) I'm just so excited about the weekend. So did I tell you what I did this weekend? Go ahead. I saw Quentin Tarantino's movie, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, 452 times, okay? Wow. No, just saw it twice. But anyway, really loved it. Can't stop talking about it. But I'm going to really try to not talk about it. Although, I will tell you this. On Wednesday, we're going to have three Tarantino geeks in the studio. Filmmaker Chris Adams, filmmaker Chris Buddy, and Sergio Mims will be here from Black Harvest Film Festival. And we'll be doing a total Tarantino geek out as a bonus. How about that? I'll be sitting there just going, (laughs) good Lord, look at these geeks. Anyway, so that's what I did this weekend. What else did I do this weekend? All right, before I tell you what else I did this weekend, which I probably won't tell you at all, let me go back in time. That's the time machine. To about five days ago, I was standing in the hallway outside the men's room in the uh, the on the Chicago Sun-Times because that's where all the action happens. Where's this story going? Not in the men's room, but outside the men's room. And who did I bump into, D? Mark Brown. That's why I bumped into the legendary political writer for the Chicago Sun-Times. And he tells me, Ben... I got a really great story I'm working on that I think you're going to like. At which I said, tell me about it, man. What's the story? He goes, I am not going to tell you. I go, come on, man. Nope, nope. That would be a scoop. Don't want to give away my scoop. So he made me sit, D. How about that, huh? He's old school. He wouldn't give away his story. Because he said to me, you know what he told me, D? He said, if I tell you what story I'm working on, I'm going to have to kill you. Oh, God. He actually did not tell me that's a line from the Quentin Tarantino movie. Anyway, five days came, five days went, and uh, on, I think it was Monday, bam, on my front porch, 
arrives the following newspaper. My beloved bright one. There it is. Home delivered every day. And uh, the uh, headline on the, the front page, cashing out. And this is the Mark Brown story that he had been uh, telling me about. He'd been uh, alluding to in the hallway outside the men's room. Cashing out. 1998 state law was supposed to limit what politicians would give themselves from their campaign funds, usually when they retire. But the measure included two loopholes. Yes, yes, indeed. Mark Brown did the deep dive, folks. And there's a loophole in the law that enables, follow me on this, politicians to keep the money that they got in campaign contributions if they received it before 1998. All right. So now you're thinking, why would they have any money in campaign contributions if they needed the contributions to run their campaigns? Excellent question. And the answer is, guess what? They didn't really need the money to run their campaigns because one, they're all powerful Democrats in a city that's dominated by Democrats or two, all powerful Republicans in suburban districts dominated by Republicans and nobody has a chance to beat them. Or three, they took in more money than they could possibly spend. It's a whole group of them, man. They took in way more money than they could possibly spend, shaking down campaign donors from Rockford to Carbondale, from one end of the state to the other. And then uh, they are able to uh, uh, keep the money if they collected before 1998. Now you're saying, why would they put that loophole in the law? And it's because they wouldn't have voted for the law if they didn't have that loophole. In other words, in the old days, they could keep all the money to just shake down donors and then just uh, declare it on their taxes and its income. So in the 1998, they said, all right, we're going to quote unquote reform uh, the, the election law and uh, force them to, um, to not to uh, keep as personal income uh, campaign contributions. But 1998 is the uh, grandfather date. And so uh, in Mark Brown's article, Keeping the Change, he uh, tallies up the total, which, uh, which politician collected the most money, uh, kept the most money, and the the winner is <laughs> former state rep Ralph Caparelli, a Democrat from Chicago who walked away with 583,000. Oh, I know that guy. Yeah. No, I've never heard of him. Yeah. Okay. Uh, 583,350. By the way, his district was out by that old radio station we used to work for. I just can't remember the name of it. $583,357 between 2006 and 2010. More than Anyone else had pocketed in this legalized money grab? That's Mark Brown writing. That's pretty good. Legalized money grab. Money grab. Here's what Caparelli had to say. Quote, what else was I going to do with the money? Keep running, Caparelli said when asked why he took the money. Maybe, I suggested, he could have donated to charity. Caparelli laughed. Quote, I'm the charity, said the retired lawmaker who called on his way home from his health club and who at age 95 credits his longevity to weightlifting and his daily afternoon martini. Hence the nickname Martini Man. All right. And Caparelli told Mark Brown, quote, I paid taxes. I follow the law. And he said, I didn't get as much as the other ones got. Well, Mark Brown points out that, uh, yes, in fact, you did. That no one else has reported taking nearly as much as he has. Caparelli seemed surprised and he said, that's pretty good. I didn't know. What a guy. The martini man, Ralph Caparelli, shook down his donors for campaign contributions that he didn't need because he had hardly any kind of uh, opposition and collected the money. And he does this, by the way, D, on top of a very generous pension that we, the uh, taxpayers of the state of Illinois, uh, offer up for all the retired legislators who meet that, uh, who get that pension benefit. And let me just say this. I'm a big supporter of pensions. 
I'm supportive for pensions for people who really deserve them, like uh, retired firefighters and police officers and teachers and nurses and drivers, et cetera, et cetera, and so forth. People pave the roads, people collect the tolls, all that good stuff. But come on, Caporelli. I know you're in love in that martini, but you're giving pensions a bad name for all the people who deserve them. We got a great show today, everybody. Uh, Danielle DeGrasse Austin will be here. She's the author of this book, We Are the Kids in Africa. She'll be here talking about that book. Uh, Amisha Patel, our favorite grassroots organizer, will be in, and she'll be bringing a mystery guest, D. She'll be talking about all the issues of the day in the city of Chicago, including the plan uh, for more uh, to... Uh, uh, to uh, raise money to fight homelessness in the city and also doing a lot of political talk. I'm, I know I'm going to be asking her about the upcoming debate tonight. Don't forget tonight's the big uh, round one of the debate. And then at uh, 2.30, Galen Alcarez, community activist from the south side of Chicago. She says she wants to talk about po- local political issues uh, and crime issues, some uh, really serious uh, murders, sad murders that took place this weekend in the city of Chicago. We'll be talking about all that. And, you know, toward the end of the show, We'll get into some uh, debate prep with uh, Galen as well. We'll be talking about tonight's big Democratic uh, debate. So a lot of the local, state, and national political talk ahead of us. But before we do any of that, the doctor with the news. Hey, guys. How's it going? I'm Dennis, not a doctor. Hey, did you say uh, Amish Patel has a mystery guest? Yes, indeed. A mystery guest. Oh, wow. Who could it be? Oh, my God. (laughs) Yeah, man. Don't do not know. And you have a mystery guest. Yes, I do. Should we, well, should we let the mystery guest I mean, announce I'm herself? I'm throwing it to you, buddy. All right. Ball, mystery guest, introduce thyself. How's it going, uh, listeners? I'm Rachel Jarofsky, Ben's daughter. Dad, you have a fully functioning soundboard, and you're still out here making your own sound effects. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm shook and confused. You mean like this one? Uh, or how about this one? <laughs> Oh, that was ghost sound effect and yeah, not really. That's the, that's the mystery mystery guest sound effect. And here's the sound effect when somebody's coming to the studio uh, and really in a hurry and they're driving. <laughs> Got a lot of sound effects. Oh, Dennis, here. I guess you don't need that. It's an easy job for me. <laughs> I just sit tech, back and let them go. I just sit back and let them go. Yes, uh, Rachel's in town. She's usually in New York City, but you're in town for a month doing a, a project. So I, I said, come on in, right? I am. It's good to be here. Got to gotta do some daddy-daughter collabing. You know, the fans have been waiting for it, right? <laughs> yes, indeed. Since you've been town, we've kind of been roommates together. Uh, Rachel made me breakfast. Rachel made me dinner. Uh, we, she went and saw Once Upon a Time in uh, Hollywood with me, which was really nice. Did you enjoy the movie? Uh, I did enjoy the movie. Uh, when I first, when I first, it kind of, I needed to like, I needed like a quick little talk back moment to really like flesh out my feelings on it. When I first got out of it, I was like, well, what was that story? I got to think on it more. But by the end of it, I was into it. I was talk, feeling it. Wait, wait, what's a talk back? Moment? Like a talk back, you know what I mean? Where you like discuss the themes, what happened in it, the key characters. You're talking with other people or talking to yourself? With other people. I mean, okay, we were yeah. talking, we were yeah. having oh, the talk yeah, back. Yeah, we were having the talk We were back. all yeah. having the talk I was back. just like in your, I thought you were like in your mind, you were going, oh yeah, what do you think about that movie? Uh, Leah, no. did you see the movie? No, I didn't, but I saw The Farewell with this weekend with Aquafina. You know, which was great. 
I highly recommend it. All right, I'm going to go see Aquafina. Maybe Rachel will come with me. I'm going to see Aquafina this weekend and this, uh, or maybe this week, maybe tomorrow. Uh, and uh, but you are definitely going to go see uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah, right? I'll see it before this weekend. All right, very good. All right, Doctor D. All right, I don't watch movies. Okay, before we find out what's happening nationally <laughs> this afternoon, we have to talk about the news from the weekend mm. and Monday. I really don't watch that many movies, but just days after he presided over a hearing uh, investigating the Trump administration's handling of migrants and detention centers at the U.S.-Mexico border. I'm sure all of you listening have heard about this by now. Maryland Representative Elijah Cummings was thrown under the bus via Twitter by the president. It all started on Saturday when Donald Trump tweeted, as proven last week during a congressional tour, the border is clean, efficient, and well-run, just very crowded. Cummings District is a disgusting rat and rodent-infested mess. If he spent more time in Baltimore, maybe he could help clean up this very dangerous and filthy place. Didn't take long for the media to explode after that. Ben, before we get into today's updates, share with us your initial thoughts on Trump's tweet this Tuesday afternoon. Well, it's more insanity from the president of the United States, and uh, it's his attempt to, uh, he's like tripling down on his political, his campaign strategy to just make black people the face of the Democratic Party uh, on the grounds that he assumes that most Americans will just uh, have a knee-jerk, instinctive reaction to vote against a black person if he's running against Donald Trump. I think that's clearly the strategy. That's why he keeps uh, denigrating any black official, any black elected official, pretty much any black elected official who dares to disagree with him. He uh, then... He went after Sharpton. I don't know if you're going to talk about that uh, in your update as well. So he's moving beyond elected officials. I think it's part of a clear strategy on Trump's part. Plus, the guy's insane. Let's face it, D. Uh, in this particular case with Elijah Cummings, uh, Cummings had... had has been critical of Donald Trump on many fronts, including uh, our immigration policy of locking up uh, detainees at the border. But uh, it was just after Trump saw a documentary or a Fox TV news segment on Baltimore that it seemed to trigger. So he's triggered his tweet. So he gets his news and his information from Fox and uh, they're sort of like joined in the head, if you will, uh, on, on, on their worldview. And uh, yeah, I think this is part of a strategy. And I said it last week. I do not believe uh, America will follow Donald Trump down this path. I'm choosing to be optimistic. I think that Americans are better than the president of the United States. And I do not believe they will um, endorse his extreme hate-filled tweeting and obsessiveness about black people in this country. So that was on Saturday. Now on to today, Tuesday. Trump has uh, since said that his Baltimore tweet is helping himself. He gave a speech today in Jamestown, Virginia, but before taking off, he spoke with journalists, and Trump said, well, quite a bit. Uh, We'll start with this quote here. Cue the vacuum. I am the least racist person there is anywhere in the world. <laughs> More can you he possibly? Said it, right? Yeah, he said it once again with the uh, what is it, the helicopter in the background? One of his his uh, Air Force One. Oh, it's Air Force One. He stands right next to the airplane with and uh, with the engines roaring, so uh, he can't hear questions. He can only make uh, asinine statements. I am the least racist person there is anywhere in the world. I mean, if he said it, Any, right? anywhere in the world, it's yeah. a big world. <laughs> it's a heck of a statement. And his source was a Fox and Friends documentary on Bal- that. So that was his source for his comments. Yeah. Just why I want to make sure I'm getting that story. Yeah, he, I don't. It was a segment. I don't know. I can't remember what uh, which uh, Fox segment it was, but it triggered him. And this is 
this is a pattern with Trump. He'll see something on TV, generally Fox, and it'll trigger a response. Yeah. And he, and he has an instinctive reaction the way many people who are listening to the show would have a reaction. So it was a, uh, a segment that was particularly critical denigrating Baltimore. And so he then just tweeted out. And with, I'm sure he didn't even give it any thought. He just tweeted it out. Yeah. And Personally, I think I'd rather swallow a bag of sand than watch a Fox and Friends documentary covering Baltimore. But, you know. It's probably more informative if you swallow the sand. Trump then said, quote, the African-American people have been calling the White House. They have never been so happy as what a president has done. So, yes, the White House still has a landline. That's very interesting. <laughs> Hello, White House. Can I help you? How can Wait, I forward your call? He said the African-American people, just like just the African-American people everywhere calling the White House. <laughs> that is so bizarre. Yeah. I mean, I don't even, think, don't even know where to go with that. I'm going to. Then he called Reverend Al Sharpton, who stuck up for Elijah Cummings a few days back, and he called him a racist. Con men, who I've known all, you know, almost all my business life, because I had to deal with them, unfortunately, in New York. But I got along with him, Al Sharpton. Uh, now, he's a racist. He's a racist. Wait, it, okay, once again, I had to deal with him, unfortunately, but I got along with him. So what is what is it? You got along with him? Or you're, it was and he's a racist. And he's a racist. <laughs> and a con man. Wait, Donald Trump calling anyone a con man. Do everybody remember Donald Trump's stakes? And how about Donald Trump's university where people paid but not didn't get much out of it? So uh, how about the uh, the contractors didn't get paid to, but for uh, even though they worked on Donald Trump's projects? How about the taxpayers of the city of Chicago and Cook County who are still paying off for Trump Towers because they got the tax break on that tower here in the city? So uh, it's interesting that Donald Trump, what, what does Monroe always say, D? He's projecting projecting he is he's projecting so he's a con man he calls al sharpton a con man so to recap al sharpton racist donald trump i am the least racist person there is anywhere in the world (laughs) anywhere in the world good god he's also like i don't know if you guys been defending or following his like defensive asap rocky in sweden but like he's totally using you know helping out this black rapper as like a front for his own racism. And it's like, this is proof that he's like down with the black community that he's helping Rocky. Yeah, we, uh, we that story broke uh, to Franz Smart and Sergio uh, Mendez were in the uh, studio. Remember that day? I had never heard of Aesop Rocky and Sergio went into a long explanation, very uh, learned explanation about Aesop Rocky and his, the pros and cons of him, which I, I did not know until he- <laughs> I'm a big fan if I'm being honest. Aesop Mob, ooh, I love some East Coast hip hop. Wait, you're a big fan of Aesop or Sergio? I mean, I like them both, but <laughs> Rocky, yeah. Rocky, Rocky, yeah, he's he's fire. Can I you mean, do any Rocky lines right now? Go. Um, uh, uh, it's like there's that song, it rains, it pours. Dun, 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 dun. That one song with Skepta. Does anyone here follow hip hop? Nope. The rains and pours is good enough. <laughs> I praise the Lord, then drink some more. It rains, it pours. It, I know everyone wants me to do this for another 30 minutes, but. <laughs> well, maybe when Danielle comes, you guys can uh, do some ASAP Rocky. Anyway, yeah, so Donald Trump uh, has these uh, random, quote unquote, African American friends who are really supportive of him. Uh, and they're calling the White House, so really good for them. Fantastic Aesop Rocky. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. There. Isn't that right, Robert Mueller? That's correct. That's <laughs> correct. All right, now let's try to transition this into tonight's 2020 Democratic presidential candidate debate, all right? Ben, our 2020 presidential candidates have weighed in on Trump's tweet. Okay. All right, Senator Elizabeth Warren called Trump's tweet, uh, let's see, ugly and racist. Mm-hmm. 
Senator Kamala Harris called his attack disgraceful. Mr. $27 himself, Senator Bernie <laughs> Sanders, called Trump, quote, a racist president. And former Vice President Joe Biden called the rant despicable. Mm-hmm. Okay. And here's a different twist here. Uh, candidate Andrew Yang. Yes, listeners, he's a candidate. You may remember him during the last debates. He was the one with the uh, not-so-sound uh, debate strategy of chilling out, yeah, <laughs> not saying much, <laughs> and putting his hands in his pockets. Yeah, no, definitely take your hands out of your pocket. Is he going to be in any of the debates? Did he make the next round? Okay. Yeah, he's going to be in uh, He's going to be in the debates here. He, Andrew he, Yang, take your hands out of your pockets. So he, uh, he weighed in on Trump's tweets. Let's uh, hear what he has to say here. And uh, Ben, tell us what you think. So when the president says rat and rodent infested, what do you think? I mean, is that just blatant racism? Why? Well, is we it, have yeah. to, to stop uh, running around after Trump's tweets. One of the things I'm saying is that, look, if he verifies that he's Donald Trump for the thousandth time, <laughs> that's not really like a, a game changer for us. It's like he is who he is. We have to actually try and solve the problems on the ground that got him elected. That's the focus of my campaign. And that's where, in my opinion, the entire field should be focused. Yeah, this is a debate. There's a great column in today's Tribune. I urge everybody to read after today's show. There you go. Uh, and uh, gets into some of these issues. Heidi Stevens, divided if we do, divided if we don't, should we keep engaging over Trump's tweets? And she wrote a very uh, good column. I urge everybody to read, as I said. Uh, and um, I think, <laughs> let's put it this way. If he was Donald John Trump, uh, the host of The Apprentice, we could ignore it. But he's Donald John Trump, president of the United States. So I must uh, disagree with Yang. I don't think you can uh, ignore such blatant attempts to stir up racial animosity, such blatant attempts to pit black against white. I don't think you can ignore that when it's coming from the president of the United States. So I feel, I understand what Andrew Yang's larger point is, uh, that there's a distraction from the issues of the day. But let's face it, it's... Uh, it's very compelling because it's so sensational, scary, and ugly at the same time. So I think you have to address it on some level or another. I don't think um, I don't think you can ignore it when it's coming from the president of the United States. Well, so maybe just keep those hands in your pockets and chill out again. Maybe on the second debate. Huh? Yeah. No, Andrew. Yeah. yeah. Come forth. What do you think? You yeah. I mean, I think that it, there's also the truth that so much of what. Trump says as president are directly tied to the issues of the day. Um, and they inform them on a, they, I mean, literally, especially when we're talking about like, you know, issues he has, you know, being tied to white supremacy. And then we see these crazy quote unquote lone wolves, you know, shooting folks down here and there. And like, you know, it, I think it's just like he's causing a lot of malice in this country by what he says. So how are we just supposed to be like rolling our eyes when what he says has real effects? Leah, what do you think? Um, I, I agree with that for sure. But I also see Andrew Yang's point in that no matter what Trump says, his base is going to keep supporting that like supporting him he could say pretty much anything and i guess of course you should call call it out and call it out for racism when you see it but it's also like no matter what you say you could say that's racist i don't think they're gonna care no no i don't (laughs) think i don't think i I, I don't think you speak out because you're hoping to change uh, a donald trump supporter's mind you're absolutely correct i don't think you can but i think uh, maya put it best when she was in the studio last week donald trump is normalizing uh bigotry and normalizing racist attacks. And I don't think we should tolerate that. So yeah. that's where I disagree he's with setting Yang. a tone. He's yes. setting a tone for the nation and he's like radicalizing white male brains. You know what I mean? I mean, that's how I see it. So 
maybe that, yeah, I mean, I don't agree with I, you. I think that uh, it's incumbent upon the Democrats uh, to speak out against it and show that they that's not what they tolerate and believe. Uh, and, and, you know, yeah, it's, it's a distraction, but in some ways it's the most compelling issue we have, the behavior of the man who's running our country. So uh, in some ways, I think that's what this election will all be about. I've been saying that for a long time. Andrew, Andrew Yang will be featured in the second round of this week's Democratic debates, but he will be on night two. Wednesday night, all right? And hey, since we're already on the subject, let's talk about tonight, night one night of the Democratic one. debates. Yes, 10 of our 20 candidates are ready to talk about the issues or Donald Trump's tweet this evening. Ben, I have the roster here. I'll read who's up tonight and uh, weigh in and tell us what you think the uh, candidates need to do tonight mm-hmm. to get over in the polls. All right, all here, right we here we go. <laughs> First up. Mary, you have her button. Marianne Williamson. Marianne. Oh my God, you have her button. Oh wow! Wait, can I see that? Yeah, sure. Marianne Williamson uh, in the studio. Uh, who gave me the button was the political love couple, uh, Kitty Kurth and Kevin Lampy. We're in here for a bonus special. You can download it, uh, but not now because you're listening to our show. This is like a Madonna album cover. Yeah, yeah it does. It's, it's got kind of that Madonna vibe. Uh, Marianne Williamson. Um, you know. I don't think there's any possibility, as much as I appreciate some of the things she says, I don't think there's any possibility that Marion Williamson will be one of, let's say, the top 10 candidates coming out of this primary. So I'm not quite sure uh, what she can do to enhance uh, her campaign if the goal is to win. But if the goal is... uh, to say sensible things that get people to view our problems in a different way and maybe just raise the notion of advocating for peace and harmony, then I think there's things she could do to just like kind of promote like a general good vibe, if you follow what I'm saying. And she'll be made fun of, no matter what she says, she'll be made fun of in the aftermath. Not by me, because I believe in promoting a good vibe. But I think that's pretty much the best that Marianne Williamson can do tonight. All right, so Marianne Williamson, the first. Next up, I had to look up. Well, I had to ask Ben to remind me of his first name. Shows you where he stands in my book here. Yeah. John Delaney. Uh, nothing he can do. I don't know. You know, the, the, he is the, the former congressman from Maryland. Am I correct mm-hmm. about that? Uh, yeah, I'm not even sure he's putting out. Uh, hey, put out a good vibe, all right, dude. Put out a good Up vibe. Up next, John Hickenlooper. Uh, I just <laughs> see uh, <laughs> for ten trivia points. What governor of ours used to refer to Hickenlooper? Governor Rauner. Ding ding ding. Uh, you are correct. Uh. Yeah. All right. Uh, up next. Also, I had to ask Ben of his first name. <laughs> Pick it up, buddy. Tim Ryan. Tim Ryan, man. He's the congressman from Ohio. By the way, no notes. Okay. No notes. Uh, he's the congressman from uh, uh, Ohio who took a stand against Nancy Pelosi. That is ancient history. He's one of the quote unquote conservative Democrats who sort of rallied against Nancy Pelosi uh, before Ocasio Cortez made it fashionable, even though she never really made it fashionable. So um, I don't know what he could do. I don't know why he's on this thing. You got any advice for him? You know who I miss is, uh, what was his name? Eric Swalwell, the one with the th- kind of thick neck. Yeah. Who was like, all I do is change diapers and legislate, was like what he said in the last debate. I liked him. Yeah, well, I had my issues oh, with ben him. Hated him. the generational thing he was the one to go hey grandpa joe you're old pass the torch that was his other thing i like that he was changing diapers i love a progressive male who's not afraid to get his hands dirty you know i changed a few diapers 
years of my time, little lady. Okay. Up next. All right. Steve Bullock. Oh, Bullock's in this debate from Montana? Yes, sir. All right. Yeah, you know what? Okay, so he's going to establish himself as sort of like the conservative mainstream centrist uh, who has appealed to Trump voters. So there's a lot of Democrats out there. They, they want to vote for the person they think can beat Trump. I think that would probably a majority of voters actually in this primary uh, that would motivate them. So it's a long shot, <laughs> to put it mildly, but that's uh, what he's going to be attempting to do tonight. All right, let's do a little one-word association. We're coming. Oh, my God. On one word? Yeah. That's hard. I know, buddy. Pete, to the fire here. Amy Klobuchar. That's the first word that popped into my mind. Mean. Mean. Okay. Wow. Oh, wow. All right. Beto O'Rourke. Phony. Next. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've been. I, he could have a million words for this one. Indiana Mayor Pete Buttigieg. Double phony. <laughs> Next. That guy just discovered that uh, we have bad, we have troubling race relations. He just discovered that, D. I As tried. I tried and I couldn't get it done. Wow. Is that your Pete Buttigieg imitation? Uh, if you could call it an imitation. <laughs> pretty good. Muller, what do you think? That's correct. Oh, pretty good. <laughs> Is this good? That's the most validating experience I've ever been a part of. All right. And then uh, our final two, Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders. Like her, like him. Like them both. Mommy and daddy, okay? <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of mommy daddy going there. They're going to be – now, this, this is a pivotal moment for them because they're, they're sort of battling for the same base and the, the progressive wing of the Democratic Party. Um, so their job tonight, their challenge is to try to – in a nice way, I suppose, um, advance their campaign as opposed to the others. And uh, Leah, tomorrow we're going to really turning to you because you're an Elizabeth Warren fan. I do like Elizabeth Warren a lot. Yeah, I'm excited to see her and Bernie face off tonight because they align on a lot of things. Their views align. So I don't know what I feel like it's just going to be them agreeing with each other. tonight, Or trying to look for differences that would give somebody a reason to vote for one or the other. You're, you're Elizabeth Warren fan. You know, well. I love Elizabeth Warren. She reminds me of someone I'd run into in the sauna of a JCC. And she's just like, there's something really reassuring about her. You know, you might have been in like a low impact Pilates class <laughs> with her. Like, I'm, I'm Warren all the way. Yeah. So, uh, but you were a Bernie supporter back in the day. Uh, yes, I was. And uh, my sister, your other daughter, not to put her on blast is a Bernie supporter. Um, he reminds me of someone that might be at a Passover dinner <laughs> that I would be partaking in. But I, I like Warren. I mean, what can you say? Like when you're basically spewing the same rhetoric, it's going to come down to like these little like personality distinctions. And right now, uh, Warren's ringing more of a bell for me. Uh, Dennis, what about you? What, what was the question? Uh, the question is, <laughs> uh, at the time. if you had to choose right now, right now, and your choices were Elizabeth Warner, Warren or Bernie Sanders. Oh, Bernie. I didn't even get the... <laughs> Bernie. All right. Without a, a doubt. He Bernie. loves Bernie Sanders. Talking about health care, man. Now, of course, we'll keep you posted on these stories as today's program rolls along. And I'm sure we'll be talking about tonight's debate plenty on today's show. But we're moving on. We're going to talk about what's going on locally. We're going to find out what else is news. And today, we're going to talk about two things, all right, for the local segment Gambling. Oh, let me get the sound effect. Oh, yeah. Gambling. <laughs> and 
This guy. I'm not a perfect person. That guy. Uh, guy. Illinois Governor J.B. Pritzker. The following comes from the Chicago Sun-Times and the one and only Tina Spondelas. The article is titled, Pritzker finally shows his hand. Yeah. Get it? Gambling pun? Good stuff. Oh, man. My bright one. Filling empty chairs on Illinois gaming board. Pritzker on... Oh, Pritzker finally has a new Illinois gaming board chair and a complete five-person board to oversee the largest gambling expansion bill the state has ever seen. Pritzker on Monday named Charles... Sure, I'm going to butcher this one. Schmadecki. <laughs> Schmadecki, man. To serve as chair. Schmadecki yeah. is a partner in charge of Hinshaw and Colbertson LLP's Springfield office. It's the same firm that Illinois House Speaker Mike Madigan has paid $297,345 in legal fees so far this wow. year. Schmadecki previously <laughs> served as general counsel to the state controller and spent 17 years working for the Illinois Attorney General as chief of the general law. Bureau. Schmadecki worked in the Attorney General's <laughs> office from August 1982 until May 1999 under Republican Tyrone Fauner. Democrats Neil Hartigan and Roland Burris and Rep. Uh, Republican Jim Ryan, the governor's office, said. Ben Jarofsky, your thoughts. All right. Well, we've been talking a lot about gam- the gaming, uh, the gambling bill that passed about a month or so ago. I urge everyone to check out our Jason Grotto interview. It's a bonus interview. Don't listen to it now, but listen to it later because uh, Jason takes a deep dive in this one. And the reality is, folks, as I, I like to say, is that this, uh, the state of Illinois has to figure out ways to raise money to pay its bills, its many obligations. Uh, and uh, so we're turning to gambling. We're expanding gambling uh, in the state of Illinois. We're turning uh, Illinois into another uh, Nevada. We're uh, another Vegas. Um, it's um, there's going to be gambling, 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 and uh, so uh, it's it was rushed through. Uh, without any oversight. How could there possibly be oversight? There wasn't enough time. It was over 800 pages, the law itself. Uh, So folks don't know it's in there. Uh, There's a massive battle between various gambling interests, uh, each one trying to outdo the other, outmaneuver the other, hiring lobbyists, et cetera, and so forth, so that they would have the upper hand with uh, whatever eventually was passed. So that was our legislation that was passed about a month or so ago. And now here we are uh, in July, and uh, Pritzker has to fill out the the gaming board which is an appointed board statewide that will determine where, among other things, the casino in Chicago goes. So you figure that they would have already figured out who would be on the board when they passed the bill, but obviously this stuff is being done really in a rush because we're desperate for the money. And most, uh, I've got to tell you folks, this is what Jason Grotto pointed out, we probably not raise nearly as much money as we want to from gambling, the gambling uh, expansion, and we will also be taxing people who can at least afford to pay it because gambling is a, is a very regressive uh, occupation. Uh, it, it soaks the people who can least afford to lose the money that they're losing. And let's face it, you're going to lose when you go to a casino because it's all set up against you. So that said, uh, if in a perfect world, we would not be expanding gambling uh, to pay our basic bills, but the world is far from perfect as we know. Uh, and uh, this particular job, as Tina Fondelis points out, D, is, as she says, it's a tough job, including long hours grappling with a daunting gaming expansion that will see the chronically understaffed board's workload skyrocket in the months ahead. All that for just $300 per diem for attending two meetings a month. It sounds horrible. <laughs> okay. But, uh, oh boy, took the job. Uh, Charles Schmadecki. All right. And so years from now, he'll talk about maybe he'll write a book about my days on the board. Uh, But uh, yeah, so they're going to figure out where the casinos are going to go. And 
I can tell you what, D. Uh, this is this is uh, this. I just have this uh, troubling feeling that this whole gamey thing is just not going to work out like anybody wants it to work out. Schmidecki was general counsel counsel to state controller Dan Hines until January of 2003 when he joined Hinshaw and Culverson. Uh, Hines is one of Pritzker's deputy governors. Anthony Garcia, who previously served as senior counsel for litigation and investigations for the Boeing company, will serve on the gaming board, according to the governor's office. He previously spent seven years at the U.S. Department of Justice. Pritzker, on June 28th, signed the gambling bill, part of a $45 billion capital plan. Yeah, and by the way, th- these are certain types of people that get appointed to these boards, you know, corporate lawyers, uh, insiders, they've worked uh, throughout government. Uh, the the, the Schmadecki has worked for Republicans and Democrats. Indeed, nobody like you or me, or Rachel, nobody like you would ever be appointed to any board. Uh, I don't know, they maybe put you on as a, uh, an actress, a comedian, on a, like an arts board or something like that. Uh, but you know, nobody is on the board who, like, let's say, is has a, a great concern about the impact gambling has on poor people, if you follow what I'm saying. It's all about, you know, structuring the deal so the deal can be cut. Yeah, or like addiction. Like, are they putting any, like, doctors on the board? I feel like, you you know, doctors who deal with, like, I don't know, what the brain looks like on addiction or no, whatever. The last people they want or anybody in that board that would, like, uh try to deter the state from expanding gambling. They want to expand gambling because- they got to make that money. Yeah, got to make the money. Got to make the money. So uh, they're not going to put anybody here. Like somebody, somebody on the board saying, you know, I don't, maybe that's not a good idea to have another casino here because, you know, we're already, you know, the people are throwing their, their money out already and they'd be like, shut up, guy. Like, no, 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 money. Money. We, we want your money. We Me- want medical money. Pro- no, money. money. So there money. you are. Just like that, you're now in the know of what's going on locally and now you'll have an answer the next time someone asks you, hey, what else is news? All right, Dr. Dima, tell you something, something that J.B. Pritzker, something that Charles Medecki, and something that Rachel all agree on. Awesome. You did a great job. Give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. We'll be right back after this. Read the Chicago Reader to get up to speed on what's what in Chicago. Culture. Food. Arts and entertainment. Weekly concert listings. Weekly event listings. The environment. Travel. I can continue, but you get the point. And for all of you Chicago political junkies, raw weekly columns on real city politics from Maya Dukmasova and our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader. Free to the public in newsstands throughout the city and online at chicagoreader.com. Read it now and be a more informed Chicagoan. Hey there, producer Dennis here. Thanks for finding and listening to the brand new Ben Jarofsky Show. All right, so here's how this works. The Ben Jarofsky Show live streams on the Chicago Sun-Times YouTube channel Tuesday through Friday, 1 until 3 p.m. Once the show is over, you can listen to the replay on our YouTube channel or we throw it online for you to download by 4 p.m. Where can you download the Ben Jarofsky Show, you may be asking yourself? Well, you may be asking yourself a fantastic question. You can find previous Ben Jarofsky shows and guest interviews through several outlets. The Chicago Sun-Times Online, chicago.suntimes.com. The Chicago Reader Online, chicagoreader.com. And wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, pick one. Just search for the Ben Jarofsky Show. J-O-R-A. V is in victory, S-K-Y. So, let's recap. Tuesday through Friday, 1 until 3 p.m., 
live streamed on the Chicago Sun-Times YouTube channel and downloadable by four at chicago.suntimes.com, chicagoreader.com, and wherever else you listen to your favorite podcast. Yes, the Ben Jarofsky Show is back. We're live and downloaded. Tell your friends and enjoy the rest of the show. Today's Ben Jarofsky Show was brought to you in part by Chicago Architecture Center. Discover the breadth and majesty of Chicago's architecture on a Chicago Architecture Center bus tour. From bungalows to Bauhaus, our expert docents will share the fascinating stories behind our city's architecture. Book your tour at architecture.org slash tours. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'm actually on a bus tour right now. Oh, my. Look at that wonderful piece of architecture. Get a special discount for Illinois residents from July 15th to August 15th. All Illinois residents get 50% off select walking tours. Visit architecture.org slash IL dash resident. First call is to Prime Minister of New Zealand, who said that her goal is to make New Zealand the place where it's the best place in the world for a child to grow up. And I will tell her girlfriend you are so on, because the United States of America is going to be the best place in the world for a child to grow up. Did you know that 40% of the people in Illinois opt to be cremated? Well, it's true. And Chicagoland Cremation Options honors their wishes by providing cremation services directly to the general public. Chicagoland Cremation Options provides an affordable, ethical, and easy cremation arrangement, whether in person or online. Save thousands and streamline the process by going directly to Chicagoland Cremation Options. It's a family-owned business operated by my good friend, Douglas Klein. Here's how you reach them. ChicagolandCremationOptions.com. One more time. ChicagolandCremationOptions.com. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show, live from the Chicago Sun-Times. Yes, indeed. Uh, our next guest, I've known her for a long, long time, uh, since the 1990s, when she was sort of like a, a very young girl. And so, Rachel, I'll allow you to introduce our next guest. Oh, my God, yes. This is my sister from another Mr. And honestly, Mrs. We have no blood that is the same in our veins. Uh, she's so talented. I love her so much. We went to high school and grammar school together. Um, my longtime bestie, Danielle DeGrasse Alston. All right, Danielle. Hello. Thank you. Welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. I've known Danielle forever. And uh, this uh, weekend... I went to a book signing party for Danielle. I said, you have to come on the show and tell everybody about what you did. Uh, the name of the book is We Are the Kids in Africa, Diary of an American Girl. And that's Danielle, Anybody, everybody looking on the TV. Uh, Danielle, that's Danielle. It's a self-portrait, self-portrait, I presume, right? Yeah, that's a self-portrait. And just to not be confused, I'm I'm the black girl, not the, the white donkey. <laughs> well, thank God you helped us out on that one. Uh, so, Danielle, before we talk about what you did in this book, We Are the Kids in Africa, uh, talk a little bit about how you got involved in photography and your career as a photographer so far. Um, I got involved right here in Chicago, actually. It's kind of started in high school. A lot of my friends were musicians. And um, I borrowed slash stole a camera from a really good friend who didn't want it back. Um, ended up using it to shoot my musician friends. 
they started doing well, I started doing well, and it kind of was just this organic mesh. Um, I've been doing photography ever since, directing music videos, corporate stuff, creative stuff. It's, it's fully in my blood now. Who are some of the uh, artists that whose videos you filmed? Um, I shot some of the very first videos of Vic Mensa, Chance the Rapper, um, Kami, pretty much the entire Save Money crew, Joey Perp. I mean, we all went to school together. Like, we literally carpooled to school together. Like, I would pick them up from school <laughs> yeah, and charge them, them. Yeah. $5 a week, which was so important to me at the time. And uh, so this, uh, this book, what you did in this book is sort of a, well, it's a different it's a different venture completely than uh, shooting videos for uh, rap, star, rap stars and mm -hmm. singers. Talk about what you did uh, in this book, We Are the Kids in Africa. So We Are the Kids, you're right, it's completely different from uh, what I traditionally do, which is music video or like uh, music, musician photography. Mm -hmm. um, I guess it's a very personal project. Um, I've always kind of had this like philanthropic side in, in high school, I, I had this party called the white party, which mm. contrary to the title was actually to donate money for kids in Africa. Um, so I think I've always just been kind of like drawn to Africa. Um, obviously as a lot of, you know, African-Americans are that they're, they're very curious about, um, the homeland. So I took a trip there, uh, without the intention of creating this photo book, but I took the trip there really to just kind of explore and, um, you know, teach, a bit um, of our Western ways to some of the youth over there. And I uh, took a bunch of pictures, was actually kind of scared to take pictures just because I felt really uh, uncomfortable and unfamiliar there. It wasn't like these were my friends or, you know, musicians and stuff like that, um, you know, which are usually situations conducive for photos. It was more intimate. I was taking photos like in people's homes of their children, um, at school. Um, and also there was a language barrier. So it was, you know, a bit awkward. Um, but it turned out beautiful. The photos were beautiful. Um, the book also has a bit of text in it. My commentary on, um, you know, my experiences because I went to South Africa. So there was this really big elephant in the room of, apartheid, um, which made me feel really awkward because here in America, we've obviously, although we have our issues with race, we've pretty much accepted that everyone is allowed to have a voice. I wasn't really sure how far along South Africa had been. I mean, they're 24 years along since apartheid. So it was a bit awkward, but, um, the book is really just commentary on, um, photos, uh, of, specifically kids, so youth there. And I think really I'm trying to parallel the fact that um, the youth in South Africa amid our cultural and um, geographical differences is very similar to the youth here in the United States. So you were in uh, South Africa, that's where you, was that the first time you've been to Africa? That was the first time I had been there. I went to Johannesburg, but the school that I was working with was about eight hours north of Johannesburg like proper in the bush in the bush talk about talk about that what does that mean in the bush? so the bush is um you know we have rainforest we have desert we have you know ocean the bush is a mixture of forest and desert so it's a desert but there are trees but the trees look dead so it's a type of land right or it's a type of landscape 
and uh, so it's just, it's rural, I presume. It's completely rural. Um, it, a lot of the land is used for um, resorts to have safaris. So anytime you see a safari, that's the bush, um, that type of land. So a lot of the land over there is for these resorts, but there are villages that live there. And so a lot of the jobs that these uh, people in the villages end up getting are either on the resorts mm-hmm. or farming uh, type jobs. And so where did you stay when you were... Uh in the bush i stayed um i stayed for a bit on a wildlife orphanage where they take animals who've been hurt or injured and they kind of help them get better rehabilitate them and then send them back out Um, but also at this orphanage we invite students from the neighboring village to come by and help us take care of these animals Um, and then i got a chance to go to the village and stay there um, for a couple nights and really see the way that they live and the sc- and visit the school and um, you know work with them a bit there. Uh, and you, as you said, you wrote uh, some text here. I have the book in front of me, mm-hmm. so I probably should have you read it. Uh, but since that would require passing it back and forth, I'll just read it. I'll, I won't imitate you when I read it. No, uh, don't. And then, and no. uh, <laughs> I don't know. What don't do that imitation. Uh, don't do the imitation. Of I don't even want to know what that would sound like. I don't know. You want me to try it? Uh, no. You know, no. Your no. show. So. <laughs> uh, if you want to imitate Daniel. All right. Uh, so I'll read it, and then uh, you offer some commentary on it and what, what it's all about, okay? Uh, so it's a picture of, I think that's Shakes. Yeah, that's shakes. And people can see shakes, and um, and here's and here's what you wrote. Shakes and I had a harmony that aligned our day. Uh, it was enough harmony to last us the whole week. Actually, I look like such a tourist with my camera, and I look like your tour guide. Geography granted Africans a pride, the type that was founded on history and wealth. When I explored the city with shakes, I began to grow a familiar affection for it. Curiosity ushered us around Johannesburg and up to Soweto. Southwest Township, the only neighborhood in the world with two Nobel Peace Prize winners that once lived on the same block, one of whom was Nelson Mandela. Talk about what's what's going on there in that passage. Yeah, so I think that's a good example because the book is really, um, it's a combination of like a personal diary, but also um, I think there was a lot of history that I learned on that trip. Um, so it was important, Shakes, let me explain him, was um, a friend that I met when I was over there. And I think he was really kind of this vehicle while I was there because he was, he was a proper African. um, And, you know, I, I kind of, he was my muse also as a photographer. I was taking pictures of him um, really that I wanted to do for, you know, kind of fashion style, but it also turned into this really great relationship that we had with each other where not only were we able to shoot together creatively, but we were also able to learn a lot about, um, South Africa together and, and do kind of all of these touristy things. And he was able to show me. So I was able to see it from his eyes. And I think I sort of started to look at him as a piece of Africa. And then the more that we, um, got closer, the more I felt like I was getting closer to Africa as a country, the more I learned about him and his story and where he's from and how he grew up there. Um, and additionally, I mean, it's really important to realize how much history is in that city of Johannesburg. I mean, the entire Nelson Mandela revolution happened there, but, um, there's a lot of uh, museums that explain all of that, but there's a lot of um, pain there as well. And um, 
at the same time, there's a lot of growth and it's beautiful and it's something that I don't think we always um, acknowledge. Two Nobel Prize winners on the same block. Mm -hmm. Wow, some block. Yeah, and that's the only place in the world where that's happened. I think that's just like speaks volumes to um, the type of uh, strength that can come out of a not so great neighborhood because actually Southwest Township, Soweto, is a township, and if you guys are not familiar with townships, there were neighborhoods that during apartheid, blacks were forced to live in to separate them from whites. So and these neighborhoods are huge. We're talking like a million people, and they literally have gates around them still to this day, like brick walls, um, where they were supposed to uh, stay and work and live and go to school. And uh, and um, a lot of time, well, every single time they were, you know, often slums. So it's just really interesting that you have these two Nobel Peace Prize winners who come from a forced slum, if that makes sense. Yes, and um, then there's this picture, uh, which are showing to the cameras, and uh, the downloaders can't see this, but uh, uh, with this, the following, it's Danielle, and uh, what, is that a donkey? Is that what you said? That is a donkey. Okay. Yeah, his and, name was Eeyore. Okay. Ironically. Uh, and uh, and then there's uh, uh, some uh, fellow who I don't know who that is on the other he side. He was another volunteer at the school. I, so he was a teacher as well. He's from Madagascar. Got it. All right. So here's uh, what you wrote in this picture with the, uh, you <laughs> having fun with this. Dog. It looks like you're like, in a bar with the donkey. We're, we're actually, that's at the, it's technically the bar of the uh, school that we were at. They had like a little bar for the older people, you know. Mm. And they let the donkey in the bar. Well, that's, it's outdoors. So oh, okay. everything was outdoors because it was so hot. And, and, the, and the way the picture set up, I mean, I'm going on about the picture. It was a great picture. It's like you don't, you just see the donkey's head. Okay. You, can I explain this picture a little bit? It's okay. really weird. So in front of me, there's a table and that's where we eat dinner every night, right? It's kind of a bar, but it's also where we eat dinner. And this donkey just roams around the camp all the time. He was one of the donkeys, he was one of the animals that they had taken in, re rehabilitated because he's actually 90% blind. Um, but he just chose never to leave. So he just kind of hangs around the camp and loiters around. And when, even though he's blind, when you eat, he comes up and puts his head, you know, just kind of, you know, Was he nice? He was really nice. I don't look petrified in that picture, but I was actually terrified. I think that's the closest I ever came to him. <laughs> yeah. On the cover, it kind of looks like it's, because you can't see the other guy and you can only see his hands. So it kind of looks like it's like a mascot head. And I was like, mm. oh, is it a real? Yeah, it oh, does. That is real. Yeah. Is it a real donkey? Because you don't see the back of the donkey, you just see the head. So I'm like, is that just a head? It's like a godfather thing. Right, um, that's what I thought. Yeah, same bad, really obscure joke. All right, here we go. I'm going to read the uh, text, uh, Danielle, and you tell us what it's all about. Uh, in America, I would classify a safe neighborhood as clean, probably majority white, and it helps if there's a Starbucks. The village was O for three, not a Starbucks in sight. Everyone kept telling me, everyone kept telling me to be cautious, especially at night. But eventually, I grew tired of eating dinners alone and scrolling on my phone until crashing at around 8 p.m. Jet lag was no longer an excuse. I needed to socialize, something I suspected every country had in common. Talk about that. Um, yeah, this is really important too because when I was doing research before I went to South Africa, a lot of the you know TripAdvisor or just any sort of website that would give you advice on the the country was really discouraging. Just like go here, but only go during the day. It, it talked a lot about, you know, how dangerous it was. And, um, you know, even when I spoke to friends who had been there before, even a friend who had 
grew up there, lived there, um, was telling me it's really dangerous. I don't think you should go like to that extent. Um, so I was terrified when I first got there the first night, um, to the point where I really didn't feel like going out. I wanted to do the traditional touristy things and then go home. Um, and then I, as I said, in the, in the passage, you know, eventually I got bored of that and I was willing to, to go out and being from Chicago, I was like, how bad could it really be? (laughs) You know what I mean? Um, and I really thought I could maybe blend in because I have brown skin, which was not the case at all. I, definitely look like a tourist. Um, so I just kind of with this book also wanted to remind people that, um, there is a lot of propaganda out there about, um, Africa and South Africa specifically being really dangerous and Hey, don't go there yet. They're not ready for us yet, but it's, it's really not true. I mean, there's a lot of amazing fun stuff to do there. And, um, I do believe that you can have a safe, great trip just like you would if you came to visit Chicago, you know what I mean? Um, so that's really important that people know, Hey, like, go to Africa. I like the Starbucks line. There's not a Starbucks in the, in the village at all. And then apparently you, you actually obviously went out and found some nightlife because the next few pictures are showing some, um, yes, nightlife and, uh, that's in the bush. Yeah. I oh, mean, this is in the bush. That's in the bush. Yeah. That was a Halloween party in the cool. bush at like the neighboring, you know, there were, I said there was a bunch of resorts. So it was at one of the resorts. Of course I wasn't staying on a resort. I was in a farm okay (laughs) farm girl it's Uh, great storytelling like i think it really functions well on both levels of like the visual but then also the words because i mean i've known you for a while and you are a writer uh, and then let's uh this is a closing passage the evening of my departure was quiet i could no longer hear the birds and the frogs just an echo of memories from my trip the sun the sunset was especially pink orange red and yellow these colors muted the city i thought seriously about missing my flight What's the worst that could happen? You would be a crazy woman. This is something that Sheikh realizes and I already knew about myself. If I stayed, I could continue this fantasy that Africa was my home. I knew that when I returned to Los Angeles, Africa would again feel like just a place and eventually just a memory. When I got to the airport, I felt myself in limbo, crossing between fantasy and reality. My mind and my body had little to do with each other. Talk about that, Danielle. Um, There's like this real inexplicable connection that you feel when you go over there. And I'm not sure if it has to do with me being African-American or what, but there's something about the air and the land of that city of that uh, city and country that makes you feel rooted in it. And um, like I said, I mean, Africa had always been a place that I wanted to go and explore. And I think up until I actually got there, it was a fantasy. And even um, being there, it kind of felt like a fantasy, but eventually it started to feel right and like home. Um, And I think when I knew I had to fly back to LA, it almost felt like I was cutting off a piece of me, you know, like cutting off a limb. It was cutting the roots. So um, it was really hard to leave. I really thought about staying another week, um, but I didn't want to freak shakes out because, you know, we just met. That would have been a little <laughs> overwhelming. Uh, did you have like, like you, you talk about the, the racial struggles uh, in South Africa. Did you have any insights about what's what goes on in Chicago and in this country all the time from your visit there? Yeah, I mean, I really thought like, why did I come all the way to South Africa just to like, witness the struggle when I, I feel like I I can really just see it in Chicago. I mean, I have seen it in Chicago growing up my entire life. Um, so it, there are a lot of parallels. Um, I think one thing that I found really beautiful about South Africa was that 
the it's almost like they haven't they just recently started to experience so much growth and such a change you know since the ending of apartheid that the spirit there feels a lot uh more hopeful i think whereas here i do believe we can be a bit sarcastic um and pessimistic there it's almost just like it, it it's less sarcastic and it's more just true and real and hey we still we're still happy we're yeah. like this is the happiest we've ever been well it's hard not to be pessimistic these days with donald trump uh as our president <laughs> oh the d word <laughs> yeah the d word uh danielle uh tell folks where they can get uh we are the kids in africa and also where if they want to watch some of your videos yeah uh, and your uh you know your other work where they can find that yeah, so all of that, uh, the book and all of my past work um, in Chicago and L.A. is on my website, which is danielle.net, but uh, not to be confused, there it's danny, D-A-N-I dash E-L-L-E dot net. Danielle DeGrasse Alston, the name of the book is We Are the Kids in Africa. I urge everybody to check it out. Uh, it is a great book, beautiful pictures, and I didn't know Danielle. You had that writing thing going on there, so uh, wow, you really we were on the school newspaper up. together. How Shout out I, the Whitney Young Beacon. Yeah. Did I even write on that? Yes, we were both on it. God, you were an editor, I think. Uh, yeah, I, I don't remember that either, <laughs> yes, Danielle. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, anyway, thanks for coming on, Danielle. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Uh, Amish Patel is sitting by, and we'll bring her on with her mystery guest. We'll see who the mystery guest is when we return. The Ben Jarofsky Show is supported by the Northwestern Summer Writers Conference. Now in its 15th year, the three-day conference held in Chicago features a diverse array of workshops, speakers, discussions, and readings. Learn more at sps.northwestern.edu slash writers. Hey, playing now at Steppenwolf Theater, the world premiere of Ms. Black for President. It's inspired by the true, that's true as in it really happened, T-R-U-E story of Joan Jett Black, America's first drag queen presidential candidate. You know who created it, D? No. It was created by Tony nominee Tina Landau. Oh. And you know who else created it? No. Oscar winner Terrell Alvin McCraney. You know him, Moonlight. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. For tickets, visit Steppenwolf.org. That's Steppenwolf, like the rock group from the 60s, Hang tight, millennials. <laughs> hey, everybody. What you're about to hear are the piano stylings of Jeff Manuel. Man, listen to Jeff go. Jeff Manuel has been playing piano around Chicago for years. He's played for conventions, for celebrities, played in basement bars with blues bands. He's played at prestigious social clubs, fine restaurants, and in the intimacy of private homes. Book Jeff Manuel at jeffemanuelpianist.com. Don't worry, I'll spell his name at the end of this commercial. You know what Chicago Magazine said? They said that Jeff Manuel is, quote, as comfortable with Chopin as he is with Cole Porter. He's excellent, and his performance is joyous. He offers an elegant stream of compositions and interpretations that entertains the mind but won't hurt the ears. To hear more of Jeff Manuel's work and to book Jeff for your next event, go to jeffmanuelpianist.com. I'm going to spell it out for you, people. J-E-F-F. M as in Mary, A, N as in Nancy, U-E-L-P-I-A-N-I-S-T dot com. Take it away, Jeff Manuel. 
I think we have very good reason to believe that there is an investigation that has been conducted which has produced evidence that tells us that this president and his administration engaged in obstruction of justice. I believe Congress should take the steps towards impeachment. But I want to say this, because it doesn't end there. I also want to say this. Um, I'm also a realist. And when I look at what has been happening over the two years and some months that I've been in the United States Senate, I have also witnessed folks in the United States Congress, and in particular in the GOP, who have been presented with many reasons to push back against this president, and they have not. And when we look at the impeachment process, there will be what happens in the House and an investigation that takes place. I think we can be pretty sure that it looks like that is, is very likely to happen. And then it's going to go over to the Senate. And in the House, there needs to be a vote by a majority, a simple majority, and then it's going to come over to the Senate. And I've not seen any evidence since I've been in the United States Senate that the United States Senate and the Republicans hold the majority. I've not seen any evidence to suggest that they will weigh on the facts instead of on partisan adherence to, to being protective of this president. And that's what concerns me and what will be the eventual outcome. So we have to be realistic about what might be the end result, but that doesn't mean the process should not take hold. Mm. All right, everybody, hour number two of your Ben Jarofsky show for Tuesday, July 30th is moments away. But before we get into that, we need to thank the following unions for jumping on board and helping bring back our program. First up, it's the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local 126 and District 8, the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9, and the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150. A giant thank you to those unions once again for jumping on board. And of course, today's program is brought to you by our good friends at the Chicago Federation of Labor. Hour number two, let's go. It is Tuesday, July 30th, and live from the Chicago Sun-Times, Chicago Reader Studio on Racine Avenue, this is the Ben Jarofsky Show. In this hour of the program, our favorite grassroots organizer, Amisha Patel, returns with a mystery guest. Oh, my Lord. Mystery guest. Ooh. Also, activist Galen Alcarez. And now your host, Chicago Reader columnist, Ben Jarofsky. Yes, indeed. Amisha Patel, our favorite grassroots activist, is in the studio. And Galen is also in the studio. I love it when a guest comes early. Uh, and you heard before we uh, we brought uh, we came out of break. We heard uh, uh, Kamala Harris talking about impeachment, and Amisha Patel is instructing me, giving me strict instructions: no questions about tonight's debates. All right, but I think I may sneak one in or two when she's not paying attention. Uh, and I'm definitely going to give Galen Alcaraz some debate questions. So get ready, Galen. All right, because uh, the debate is tonight, and I will be watching it for certain. As to try to figure out who I'm going to vote for uh, to run against President Donnie John Trump. Before I bring Amisha and the mystery guest on, what you got for me, D? You got an update? Absolutely. Tonight is Democratic debate, round two, night one of two. Mm -hmm. A lot of candidates. Gets a little wordy there. It's taking place in Detroit. Ben will be watching from home, clenching his Marianne Williamson button. <laughs> Tomorrow he'll be taking shots from his Joe Biden thermos. He's going to love it. But the first paid TV advertisement to emerge in the aftermath of the testimony by Robert Mueller on Capitol Hill last week will air during the Democratic primary debates tonight and tomorrow night. The 30-second ad is funded by Longshot 2020 presidential uh, 
can is he a candidate? I'm not sure. Tom Steyer. Did oh, he? top the billionaire hedge fund guy from California. Yeah, he's running. Yep. Okay. He's not so in the he, debate. He but is running. running. Uh, so it's uh, funded by him. The video is called "What Mueller Said." Let's listen. And what about total exoneration? Did you actually totally exonerate the president? No. Isn't it fair to say that the president's written answers show that he wasn't always being truthful? Generally. <laughs> you believe that you could charge the president of the United States Correct. with obstruction of justice after he left office? Yes. The campaign welcomed the Russian help, did they not? Yes. And then they lied to cover it up? But generally, that's true. You <laughs> impeach is responsible for the content Mueller. of this advertising. <laughs> Uh, generally, uh, yes, uh, that's correct. That's correct. Uh, I am Mueller. Uh, I barely talk. Uh, I don't want to sh- look like I'm endorsing impeachment, even though everything I've uncovered says we have to impeach this man. Get ready, Galen Alcaraz. These questions are coming to you. Uh, yeah, uh, Tom Steyer. Has, Tom Steyer, for what uh, folks don't know, this has been financing an impeach Donald Trump campaign. That's want to say it's about a year and a half old. He's a billionaire from California, made a fortune as a hedge fund uh, wheeler dealer. And uh, so I guess he decided to jump in the round. I'm not quite sure why he's running for president. I uh, don't don't see a road to victory for him, a path to victory. But one thing, I'll tell you what, D, he's got the money, so he's buying the ad. Probably get more airtime with his ad than some of the candidates on the stage will get from the debate. So anyway, that's Tom Steyer, and that is the Mueller commercial. And Robert Mueller does not give folks a lot to work with. All right. Correct. <laughs> that's uh, Amisha Patel is my guest, uh, Grassroots Collaborative. She comes on once a month or so. And Amisha always brings a mystery guest with her. Almost always does. So, Amisha, why don't you introduce our mystery guest? I'm excited to be here. Um, And I can talk about the presidential debates. It's just you have many other people who also can. There's like all this local stuff that we want to lift up. Um, But I so I want I'm really excited about uh, today's mystery guest. Um, We actually have um, a few things in common um, besides our, you know, passion for justice and for organizing. Um, uh, My guest and I both are survivors of cancer, um, both dealing with a similar shared side effect of lymphedema. And, you know, struggling to make sure that all of that, like we stay healthy while we continue to do this work. And she is um, a bold, brilliant, powerful, fearless leader. I'm so excited to be here with her today and um, and uh, introduce you to Mexico Williams, who's a leader with the Chicago Coalition for the Homeless. Right. Hello. How very, are you guys? Very good. Very good. Welcome to the show, Mexico. Uh, talk a little bit about uh, your background, how you got to this point. Uh, in your activism career from Chicago originally? Yes. Um, I was born and raised here in Chicago, moved away for a little while to Indiana, Wisconsin, but died hard Chicago, had to come back home. Um, I got involved with um, advocating and working with Chicago Coalition for the Homeless as a grassroots leader because I had stage three uh, cancer, and because of my diagnosis, it was the first time in my life I couldn't get a job and uh, work and take care of my kids because the treatment was so grueling. Mm. Um, it took a lot out of me. It took me from working and taking care of senior people in their homes to needing somebody that's a personal assistant to be able to um, help me out with my daily needs and different stuff like that. Um, I became depressed 
you know, and I didn't know a lot. Um, things had changed and shifted and moved around so much in Chicago when I left and when I came back in 2012. Um, didn't know about a lot of community services and stuff. Some of the ones that I knew, they had dried up and they were gone and they didn't have funding. Um, and then I just ran into this great organization called the Chicago Coalition for the Homeless. And from there, just working with them on different campaigns from the 515 um, to the COIN Act, which I went to testify in Springfield to have um, temporary assistance for needy families. That's a supplemental grant from the state of Illinois to help families to be able to take care of their children and, you know, basic needs or whatever um, per month. It wasn't enough. Um, it was only 474 a month for a family of four. And mind you, I'm coming off of working two jobs, um, one for the state of Illinois and one for Catholic Charities, like I said, working with seniors and those that are disabled within their homes. And I was making 13 14 per dollar per hour on both jobs, mm. bringing home two, $3,000 or more per month um, and going to school full time at the University of Phoenix on campus here in Chicago downtown. And... To go down from all of the money and being as active as I was and doing the different things and being able to provide for my children a roof over their head, food and clothing, um, to nothing. And then I know what about any organizations that could help me. Um, I ended up in the shelter um, while I was in cancer treatment. And it was really devastating. Um, just something that you never want anyone else to have to go through. No other cancer patient. Uh, let's, I mean, just let's just talk about that briefly. Um, my goodness, it'd be a, a shocking to have to go from having a home to a shelter, but to have to go home to a shelter while you're having cancer treatment, that must have been particularly brutal. Um, that was very brutal because um, at the time, it wasn't something I wanted to go through. I wanted to be at home when I got out of um, chemo, being tired and exhausted. And at one point, I was allergic to some of the chemo medicine, so they had to give me extra Benadryl. So I'm really, really sleepy and, you know, oozy and way messed up. And <laughs> it's a part of the treatment, though. Yeah. Uh, and it was the only particular chemo I could receive for the breast cancer that I had because it was stage three, and it was um, it was very, very rigorous. And, and so, like, would you, was there any private place um, at the shelter you go to just to be sick or you just were out there in the open with um, I have to tell the story on that one I'll try to keep it real brief uh, my children and I were placed uh, we were taken from the north side of Chicago where we would normally um, lived the end of Lakeshore Drive and we ended up being in a shelter in the hundreds on like 122nd and Halstead on the way 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 far south side um, this shelter was a mini mansion that had been converted into a shelter for those that are homeless. I'm not saying that I'm being petty. I'm appreciative of having the opportunity and not having to be outside uh, and sleep in my car like I thought we would have to do. Um, but the shelter had no doors because prior participants would come in there and get high and they wouldn't open the door and other different issues. This happened 10 years before my children and I even got there, but they had no doors, so I didn't have anywhere to relax. My children, um, I had to bust them two and a half to three and a half hours away from, I kept them in their regular school. I didn't want them, um, that's the only thing that they had was stable, was the fact that they went to the school that they had been in since they were in kindergarten and preschool. So they're going back to the north side? Uh, yes. So it, you're at 100 and 100 uh, south, the kids are schlepping all the way up to the north side. Yes. How'd they get there every day? Um, I would take them. We would get up about 5.30 in the morning, leave out, make it up there to school to get them to school by 7.45. So they made sure that they ate breakfast there. And then I would go to the UI Health Cancer Center and get my treatment, go back to the shelter, lay down for a little while, uh, recuperate as much as I could, 
and then jump right back up and head back up north to get them. And we did that same trip for a while. Um, we stayed in that shelter for about three months. Um, then we went to a different shelter called the Madonna House Shelter. It's uh, behind Wrigley Field. It was much different. There I received the key um, to a room for myself and my children. It was six beds. Um, we had our own bathroom. Everything was separate. It was different. It was like having a mini studio apartment. It was a complete difference. Um, I was able to sit down, well, lay down and rest there. It wasn't like the other shelter. Um, and the women were more... Um, coming came forth uh, helped me more you know that they knew I couldn't do a whole lot because I was so sick and I had been debilitated to the point of being able to walk on my own then to having to use a walker because of the neuropathy and the chemo at that particular point in time it was so strong um but it was just a, just that particular change was able to give me a little glimpse of hope. They gave you something there called wraparound services mm-hmm. and it was something I didn't know about in the prior shelter what does that sound I don't know what that was. Uh, and uh, so are you still in the shelter? Or are you? Uh... Um, no, I have permanent stable housing. Mm-hmm. And uh, myself and my children, we live in a high park area on the south side of Chicago off of 51st and um, Drexel Boulevard. Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful neighborhood. It's um, the neighborhood of the former president, Barack Obama. His home is about three blocks from where we're at. Um, it's a very beautiful up-and-coming area. Uh, We're close to the beach again, which is a good thing. The kids love that because they love to go to the beach. Um, There's lots of parks and different recreation and things like, you know, they can be there and be kids again. They don't have to be cooped up in a shelter. Um, They don't have to be a little more embarrassed um, by the fact that they didn't have a home to call in on. We have permanent stable housing now. All right, let's bring Amisha into the conversation. Uh, The uh, T-shirt, it says Bring Chicago Home. Talk about the, the Bring Chicago Home campaign. Well, this is um, an ordinance that the Coalition for the Homeless has been working on for several years, um, and it just makes so much common sense. Um, The idea is to uh, figure out how are we going to really fund the work to end homelessness in our city. Um, you know, for years people have talked about multi, you know, multi-year plans to end homelessness, and we still see actually homelessness skyrocketing in the city of Chicago. Um, the ordinance that CCH is trying to move, uh, it makes, you know, is really about making sure that we've got the resources to, to fight this. Um, and it is an epidemic, and it is it means that people, as you heard from Maxica's story, that you're let alone your own struggles and challenges in your life, but you're dealing with those on top of the fact of not having a home and you have children and you have um, all of these things to think about. So this ordinance would uh, would basically um, tax the... Um, have a new tax on the sale of luxury properties and the luxury properties then that would that the funds from that tax would go to, to directly support homeless prevention homeless services in the city of chicago um you know i think this is modeled off of some work in california is that right mexico off yes. of um, a, a progressive real estate tax that they did there um, to end homelessness, the funds were um, dedicated and used for that particular purpose. Um, you know, it, it's not an overnight fix. Like I say, it takes a while. They did it about a year or two ago, and they're still progressing. It's just like we could service so many people um, over the years with this particular money, the $100 million that it would generate 
or even 150 million per year. So 1.2 percentage point raise on the taxes of um, those luxury homes, one million dollars and over, and it's supposed to generate 100 to 150 million dollars wow. a year. That will help to end the specific crisis that we have, and we have a real urgency in a crisis here in the city of Chicago, similar to the one that was in California. So it's just slapping that tax. What is it? What, tax, what percent did you say? One point two percent. So one point two percent on what the sale of a home is. Uh, uh, one million dollars. One million dollars. If it's a half over a million dollars, and right. that money would. Uh, all right, uh, now Misha, you you know the politics of Chicago. Uh, first of all, to get it passed, be interesting. You're going to have some <laughs> opposition to that, and then to have it. If you do get it passed, have a channel dedicated to homelessness, that'll be another fight. Let's talk about the first fight, uh, the resistance over passing this tax. Well, you know, I think um, the the there's one good thing is that, you know, Mayor Lightfoot as a candidate really was supportive of this ordinance and, you know, and um, and spoke strongly in support of it. Um, and many aldermen who got elected also are strongly in support of this. Um, there are, of course, you know, a new set of progressive aldermen in, in caucus in the council. Um, but there also is a broader, I mean, I think, you're seeing a pull more to the left of the council because um, because of this than this recent election and and people really you know trying to be very clearly call themselves progressive and to fight for those issues. I think the challenge, of course, is going to be. I mean, there's opposition as um, you know from the real estate sector, which is powerful. Um, lots of contributions from the real estate industry um, to to elected officials. Um, they you know consistently are of course trying to make sure that um, nothing hurts their profits. Uh, so there is going to be some work to really make sure that we've got the votes. But there is a lot of support in the council for this ordinance. Um, the orga- organizing, like I said, has been going on for for a long period of time. And you know, so I think the the challenge is really you know going through that process to make sure that we have all the voices heard about you know why we need to do this in the city at this moment. Who, who would pay the tax, the seller or the buyer? Max, do you, is it no, isn't um, it the um, seller? The seller. The seller. So it would be the the person who's cashing in on his or her uh, multi million dollar home would uh, pay a portion of what he or she gets uh, in this tax. All right, so uh, Mayor Lightfoot uh, endorsed it on the campaign trail. You know, you've been around as well, almost as long as I have, and well, not nearly as long as I have, Amisha, but uh, what a politician says on the campaign trail and what a politician does once in office are often two different things. Uh, has she is she uh, showing support for it in the city council right now, uh, advocating for it? Well, I think you know we're heading into, um, as always, a contentious budget. Um, a budget process. Uh, they have been hinting at for some time that this crisis is much bigger than um, even they expected. I think we've, you know, that's no new. This, to me, there's no surprising news here. Like there's, there's always, a, you know, the, the issue of not having enough revenue into the city, which is why we push forward progressive revenue proposals to fix this, right? Like this city is a very, there's tremendous wealth in the city. There is no reason why we don't have the resources that we need to fill the needs of everyday residents in the city of Chicago. So CCH's proposal is again, another really um, sharp way to do that, right? So, hey, this is millionaires who can well afford to pay a little bit more on the sale of their um, luxury home that directly goes to support homeless homeless services, services. and homeless mm-hmm. prevention. Um, it's a no-brainer. So the challenge here is that, you know, 
Light Mayor Lightfoot's looking for revenue from all kinds of places to meet her budget deficit. Um, but we have, like I said, we have lots of other places where that revenue can come from, and it should not be taken from this idea that is very specific about addressing homelessness. It is not meant to be a, hey, here's how we're going to fix a budget gap that has been created by the fact that we don't tax the rich enough, that we don't make sure that businesses pay their fair share. Um, you know, Rahm Emanuel, when his first acts as mayor eight years ago, eliminated the corporate head tax. Um Let's get that back. Let's actually do it differently and raise even more resources than that than that bill did. Um, there's, you know, I think we've got to really look at all kinds of solutions um, to fix the budget. But that's going to be the pressure: is oh, hey, you have an idea for over a hundred million dollars. I'm going to take that, and we've got to really push and fight to say that is actually how you fix the budget is by making sure that you address homelessness and you like fight against income inequality and you fight against the devastation of poverty in the city of Chicago. When you say uh, fund the money, we go to fund homeless services. Talk about some of the services that it would fund. Um, what it was was the Chicago Coalition for the Homeless Leaders because we have um, previously or currently are experiencing homelessness. We sat down. We did thorough talks um, with so many different leaders and so many different people in homeless shelters and um, asked them, what are your barriers? What kept you from getting permanent stable housing? Why are you in a shelter? What led you to be homeless? And we used those particular barriers, and we developed something called wraparound services. What I received at that particular shelter, um, there'll be child care, there'll be job training, um, helping getting them on the waiting list or getting them to permanent stable housing um, and the funding and resources through workshop classes they have to complete at different levels, um, like budgeting, learning how and what you're supposed to do in an apartment because everybody doesn't know to clean up. Everybody doesn't know how that, you know, they're going to come through with inspections. Um, everybody doesn't know their rules and rights and that there is tenant landlord ordinances. No, everybody doesn't know that, you know. You spend so much time, and uh, we have situations called doubled up here in the city of Chicago, and most people don't recognize as homelessness, but at Chicago Coalition for the Homeless, we do find it is a, a, a significance in being doubled up. It's a form of homelessness. You go stay with a relative because you're down and now and you never get back on your feet you have the, the potential and the idea that you're going to get over it but you don't and that brings our homeless population to over 86,000 and with that being said this particular revenue fund will help with that with the wraparound services we want to get them the mental health we want to get them health insurance um, we want to get them their mind and body and their spirit back build up their momentum because these people have been so broken over the years and let down by society and the different things that are going on we want our children to go to school and be safe and comfortable stay in the school that they were in just because they're going through a homeless transition to stay in that school graduate from the school with their peers to feel because for a child and I learned it from my children that was the most influential point to keep them in that school it was the best decision I made I might have you know lost a lot of sleep over it <laughs> That and they lost a lot they, of yeah. sleep. But you know what? They said it was the best thing ever. And um, Are they still I, going to the north side um, Actually, they're in the uh, High Park area. We changed their school. Okay. They were willing to change, and they actually liked their school now. It took a year for them to warm up yeah. because they had been to other schools since they were in preschool. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to go to the north side school. Uh, and 86,000. Is that what you said? 86,000 yes. homeless people in the city Currently. of Chicago? How, how, wow. 86, so would, would this... Uh, would this fund raise enough money to house 86,000 people, or is it just a, a drop in a bucket? 
I mean, we definitely need more resources to, you know, to fully end homelessness. But I think as Mexico laid out, this would be a significant um, addition to help people move out of homelessness. This idea, you know, I think people don't really understand if you haven't experienced homelessness, what it actually takes to um, to find, you know, find housing. And there's so many misconceptions about people who are homeless um, and so much of this idea of like, well, they, you know, if people just had a job, then they would would be fine. And I think what you hear is that what you're hearing from Mexico is there's all of the supports and resources that people need to be able to get, um, have a shot at getting some stability in their lives. And so, um, you know, I think the true cost of ending homelessness is, is certainly way more than what this particular legislation will um, provide for, but this is a significant start. Um, we, as a city, consistently underfund and under-resource this, this um, huge set of people in our city, and, and it's a shame. You know, there's all this focus on downtown development and and, you know, a global city and gleaming skyscrapers. And meanwhile, you know, it's like, and we, the common uh, approach is like, well, we just don't want to look at homeless people. So we're going to move that encampment. We're going to move people out of that viaduct. We're going to push people away so you don't have to look at them. And it's an outrage. There it is. We are not addressing the issue. And this is at least the beginning of how we can actually address the issue. All right. Uh, speaking of gleaming uh, downtowns, uh, Misha Patel's many times on the show has talked about the, her group's uh, battle against the Lincoln Yard development where the city, uh, we could help, help a lot of homeless people with this one, Mexico. The city is setting aside, I think, $1.3 billion with a B uh, to build a uh, upscale development on the uh, gentrifying north side neighborhood that, in my humble opinion, uh, does not need a subsidy to be developed. Uh, so what's the latest on the lawsuit against Lincoln Yards, which, by the way, uh, deals like Lincoln Yards totally are related to homelessness, homelessness and the rising costs of living in the city of Chicago. So talk about the fight against Lincoln Yards. Yeah, so, um, you know, we filed this lawsuit in April um, against the creation of this TIF district in particular, mm -hmm. um, saying that it violated TIF statute and it also is a violation of the Illinois Civil Rights Act. So the city, um, not a big surprise, has filed a motion to dismiss our lawsuit. Um, and basically, one of the key things that they're trying to say is that uh, as an organization, Grassroots Collaborative and Raise Your Hand are the two plaintiffs that we don't have standing to um, to take on uh, to take this lawsuit on. So we're you know our lawyers are working hard to um, you know to go in front of the judge September 11th to basically make the case for why we absolutely have standing and how um, this case this lawsuit needs to move forward. So. Um, We'll see what the city does then, but at this point, they're they're trying to they're trying to get rid of us. So okay, so when you say the city, this is the city that's being led by Mayor Lori Lightfoot. Yes, the okay. city of Chicago. Just want to clarify is, yes. that, uh, <laughs> that city. This is not like some. Uh, uh, this is not. I can't blame this on Rom. This is Mayor Lori Lightfoot's law department that is fighting this. Yes, this is that law department which is trying to say you know trying to get rid of this lawsuit. And what. Uh, reasoning do they have for fighting this particular lawsuit? I mean, I understand the specifics. I understand the specific legal argument that they're making. They're making a legal argument that you don't have standing, which is just a way to get rid of you. I understand that. Right. Uh, if they find a sympathetic judge, they will get rid of you on that one. Uh, but beyond that, 
I mean, Lori Lightfoot, when she ran for mayor of the city of Chicago, speaking of promises that uh, politicians often make, mm-hmm. said she opposed the Lincoln Yard uh, project. She said it to my face. In fact, I believe she may have been sitting in that very chair where you're sitting right now, Amisha <laughs> Patel, when she said she was against the Lincoln Yard. So what has happened to change uh, to uh, Lori Lightfoot's worldview of Lincoln Yards? Well, I, you know, I... The mayor hasn't made a statement directly, but clearly her law department is making making a statement. Maybe she doesn't um, know the law department has done it. it Lori, the law department is fi- fighting this. Po- you know, I don't know what it's she knows. Possible, yeah. um, you know, I do think it's kind of standard practice that the city will try to get rid of any lawsuit against the city. So that may be where we're at. Um, but, you know, this is, we're not going anywhere and this is going to move forward and <laughs> she's going to have to, you know, t- make a public stance on this she's gonna have to get engaged in this um and so we'll see but she was you know absolutely campaigned to being against lincoln yards and saying that developments like this won't you know should not happen and subsidized developments like this should not happen that is our main point this tiff district does not make sense to create to be created it is again one of the wealthiest um parts of the city if not the whole state um and they don't need a handout. And again, when we are taking, we are lock, by creating a TIF district in this area, we are locking in all of that rising property value into this TIF district. So instead of going to social services, to schools, parks, libraries, mental health, like public mental health, any of the stuff that, that those tax dollars should go to, instead it's only going, it's going back to the developer. Mm-hmm. And that the, like this is again the problem. We have to actually force, you know, the fact that we have to take a, do a lawsuit to try to make this change, it's unfortunate fortunate we have to do it but how many decades have we been seeing that this has been the, the status quo of the city doesn't matter who's in the office this is what happens is you prioritize those developers and you make sure they get whatever they need meanwhile we don't have we have 86,000 people who are homeless not getting any kind of resource that they need to actually move forward in their lives yeah and I'll add one more point that I always love to add whenever we talk about tips it's a property tax hike people you're paying more in property taxes okay right because if people are that tiff district exists that means who has to make up the difference of where those tax dollars aren't coming from is everyone else everybody everyone else is getting a property tax hike every single time we create a tiff district in a rich neighborhood like well, like Lincoln Yards. Any tip Anywhere. district. Well, yeah. So all, all my listeners out there in the 41st Ward, your taxes are going up. All my listeners out there in the 45th Ward, your taxes are going up. All my listeners out there in the 13th Ward, your taxes go I believe all these aldermen voted for that tip district. How about your good friend Jim Kappelman in the 46th Ward? He voted for it. Taxes going up. How about your good friend Tom Tunney in the 44th Ward? He voted for it. Taxes going up. Did Brendan O'Reilly in the 42nd Ward vote for it? I think he voted no, right? I can't remember. Anyway, I was going to go down the whole north side. There's Gayle a handful of there, and, but, uh, There the were handful. a handful of no votes. Yeah, but, a handful. By yeah. the way, speaking of no votes, uh, I <laughs> we had on the show Byron Sixer Lopez, the alderman at 25th Ward. And this is a delightful irony of the city of Chicago. Follow me what I'm about to tell you. Uh, Mayor Rahm uh, and uh, Danny Solis, who's the all alderman of the 25th Ward, they had this great idea. I know what we're going to do, boss. Uh, what we're going to do, we're going to put all the, the, uh, the developing areas in and around the loop uh, on the south, just like in the south and near west sides of the loop, into one ward controlled by young Danny Solis because he'll do whatever developers and Rahm say. Great idea. Let's do it. They, so they did. They got the post office in there. They got 78 in there. What happens? Danny Solis gets caught take, 
wearing a wire on Ed Burke. He has, can't run for for office. So suddenly the guy who's going to take care of all the development deals, this is only in Chicago, Galen. Suddenly the guy who's going to take care of all the development deals, out, he's not running for re-election because of me. She wanted to spend more time with his children. That's what he said. And uh, as opposed to be wearing the wire for Ed Burke. <laughs> Mexico's going, I've been around Chicago a long time. North side, south side, it's all the same. Anyway, so now we got Byron Sixer Lopez is the alderman. This guy's to the left of me. It'd be like if me were running the 25th Ward. Well, maybe not to the left of me, sort of where I am. Uh, but don't you think that's a delightful irony? You're fighting the city tooth and nail in Lincoln Yards, and now you got Byron Sixer Lopez uh, controlling the 78, which is another giant tip. Yeah, it's 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 awesome. It's great, um, and I you know I think it means a whole you know it's a whole different uh, direction of you know of the city in that neighborhood in particular, but beyond right the, the ripple effects of Solis not being in office and Byron being there is very exciting, and I think the thing we have to look for now and what you've already started to see is that developers are starting to say okay I don't want TIF money I want. I want money from the state because <laughs> we are make we are we are organizing yeah. to make it really difficult to take TIF money, right? We have been fighting, lifting this up, and I'm saying we like including you in this fight, right, Ben? Of like being able, like really lifting up what is how TIFs have been um, just you know just been abused and have been used to um, continue to line the you know, pockets of wealthy folks and folks near downtown and developers. So what you see now is like, is that developers are actually saying, oh, no, no, I don't want TIF money. But they're going to the state and they're asking, you know, like the one central developer that is, you know, asking for I was like huge number, a yeah. huge amount of money I think it's from six billion. Don't quote me. I think it's six billion. Yeah. yeah, six billion dollars from the state. Um, you have actually the developer from Midwest, uh, the seventy-eight TIF, actually inter- backing legislation in Springfield that would give um, developers a, who got subsidy money to create their building, yeah. um, like Midwest. Then I'll be going to Springfield to say, and you know what? I shouldn't pay taxes on my affordable units that I had to create, but you're creating them because you got all this billions of dollars in TIF money. Like they're looking for back end multiple ways to get money, multiple layers of money back um, for creating a handful of units. Yeah, no, it's a slip. So we've got to watch this, right? Because it's, uh, our organizing is working and they're going to, they're, you know, we're squeezing them and they're trying to pop out in another place. By the way, I must correct myself. Uh, when I was on my great riff about the TIFs, I believe the 45th Ward, I included that in the list, but John Arena, I believe, voted against the TIFs. So, yes. John, sorry about that, all right? Letter coming in from John Arena. All right, uh, Mexico, Amisha said, don't ask me any questions about tonight's de- <laughs> debate, all right? But, you know, I can't help myself, all right? So let me just ask the two of you before I let you get out of here. Uh, what are you in general looking for? What would you like to hear from the Democratic candidates? How about if I put, present it that way? I'll start with you, Amisha. What, do you, what, do you, what would you like to hear from the Democratic candidates tonight? I want to hear... Um like I want to hear real vision and a plan behind that vision. Um, I think we have uh, apparently, by the luck of the draw, an all-white cast of candidates tonight. All the candidates tonight are all white uh, candidates for uh, running for office for presidential um, versus uh, you know, tomorrow night. And so, like, let's talk about 
white supremacy. Let's talk about the role, uh, a a bigger vision for this country that includes the role that white people should be playing to make sure that this country moves forward in the way that it needs to. I think there's all kinds, people care about all kinds of things. If we look at war and militarism, it's a huge impact on our lives because that's, again, where our tax dollars are going, um, is going to war and militarism. War and militarism directly connects to climate change with all of, like, you know, it's all of this is all related and connected. So to me, I think we need to hear about a big, bold vision around the U.S.'s role in, as a, you know, kind of in the global community, but also just like what is the plan and vision for um, for communities of color in this country and how are we moving, you know, sort of developing and sustaining um, strategies to help forward econ- um, communities of color in this country. We don't hear enough presidential candidates talk about racial equity, talk about um, the, like people just take voters for of, of color for granted in particular black voters and I, I'm looking for someone to actually um, to paint a vision that is exciting that will make that will actually inspire people to come out and vote because I think that's our biggest challenge. Mexico, what are you looking for? I just want them to um, focus on balancing the inequalities and focusing on those mainstream things that are going on right now in society like banish and get rid of the uh, inequalities and that can go from race to the homelessness um to those that are less fortunate, low income, those who need education and training, bring it back and putting in society what we need, not all these other issues and walls and different things like that. And just making sure voters know that they need to get out and vote. You know, don't sit at home and say and keep on talking about, oh, this should be this, that should be that. Hey, get out, get your voters registration done because we're going around doing it. Be a part of the census as well. It's coming next year. I got to put in those pluggers. Um, and get out there and vote for the resolution to um, end homelessness in the city of Chicago, you know, because it's based also, also on the voters. We put the resolution of the red out there already. It's been introduced to, introduced to two committees. Um, we're waiting for a hearing on the resolution. Once that hearing goes by, city council will pass the resolution out. Then us voters here in the city of Chicago, we make the decision and we make that final vote on whether it's passed or not. So in other words, you're uh, you're going to have a referendum for the people of the city of Chicago yes. to get to vote on whether they have this tax for. And we don't have Rahm. In the old days, Rahm, Mayor Rahm, uh, would have his uh, flunkies in the city council and what a slickster he was there's a rule that you can only have three questions on any ballot so we would put like you know what color hair should I have blue or black and then that would be like a <laughs> referendum question and they would bump your question uh, are we going to get some of the same games from Lori Lightfoot on this one or is she going to allow this to come to a vote I mean, I hope not. I mean, but I, I, this is a different category of a referendum. You know, like the non-binding referendum is where there's a limit, is my belief, that this is a different, pe- like there isn't something. like Yeah, the, talk they to can't. Pat Quinn about uh, that, yeah. all right? He'll tell you a whole lecture <laughs> on the games people play when they want to uh, block people from uh, uh, getting these uh, questions for the public. Amisha Patel, uh, Mexico Williams, thank you so much for coming on the show. Is there any, uh, any kind of website that people could go to to get more information about this campaign? So I'll say for uh, Grassroots Collaborative, um, you can find us on Facebook and so and on Twitter, and our website is grassrootscollaborative.org. And you can also find the Chicago Coalition for the Homeless. You can go on their site, or you can bring the Chicago Home Campaign. We also have a site for that. Um, we have a Facebook page for it as well. Like I said, it's, it's based on us voters. It's not just so much about the city council. We have a stake in this, too. I hear you 100%. All right, very good. Thank you so much, you too. I got Galen Alcaraz on deck. We're going to bring her on when we return. 
Today's Ben Jaromsky Show was brought to you in part by Chicago Architecture Center. Get to know your city on one of Chicago Architecture Center's 65 walking tours. Hear the unforgettable secrets and stories behind Chicago architecture from our expert docents. Book your tour at architecture.org slash tours. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'm actually on a tour right now. Oh, wow. Look at that building. Get a special discount for Illinois residents from July 15th to August 15th. All Illinois residents get 50% off select walking tours. Visit architecture.org slash IL dash resident. This is an awfully big body of water. We're looking for a needle in a haystack. And we're talking about a needle that moves constantly. He's checked the floating traps he hand curated. Right now is a combination of drumsticks, rats, and uh, smelt. Yum. Well, as far as the gator goes, that's a pretty good offering. We're hoping that the, the wind blowing the scent across the water will catch his attention. We're all speculating on, on whether he grew up in somebody's you know, bathtub or backyard or something. He's enjoying the, the five feet of water. He probably was raised in six inches. If we could find the animal, we can capture the animal. Read the Chicago Reader to get up to speed on what's what in Chicago. Culture. Food. Arts and entertainment. Weekly concert listings. Weekly event listings. The environment. Travel. I can continue, but you get the point. And for all of you Chicago political junkies, raw weekly columns on real city politics from Maya Dukmasova and our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader. Free to the public in newsstands throughout the city and online at chicagoreader.com. Read it now and be a more informed Chicagoan. Our friends at the Chicago Sun-Times are offering you, yes, you, the listener, an exclusive deal on unlimited digital access to all the stories you love unlock every feature video and podcast just like the ben jarofsky show by signing up now for a digital subscription for a limited time only you can lock in our lowest rate yet only $29.99 for a full year of all the news that you need to know stay up to date on breaking stories get the deep dives and investigations from sun times reporters cheer for the big games with the best sports team in the city and go deep inside City Hall with best-in-class political reporting. $29.99 for a full year of unlimited access. I looked online. I checked. So before I say this, just know that I checked and looked. You can't do better than that. Now back to the Ben Jarofsky Show, live from the Chicago Sun-Times. Yes, indeed. We are live. Galen Alcarez in the studio with me. Before I bring Galen on, you got an update, D? Uh, yeah, I sure do. Tonight is debate night number one. Of the second debate, round two is tomorrow. Sorry, it's a little confusing, guys. Just so many candidates, it gets a little confusing. But thanks to our good friends over at CNN.com, they have gave us six things to watch okay, for Galen, tonight's for this. debate. All right, so what we'll do here is we'll do uh, three, and then before we leave, we'll do three more. So uh, what are some things that uh, – name one thing, Ben. That we can watch for on night one. Tonight? Yeah. Bernie and Elizabeth Warren. That's tonight's main attraction, in my humble opinion. They're going to be fighting for uh, the progressive, lefty, whatever you want to call it, uh, faction of the Democratic Party. And uh, so they're going to have to... I don't know if they're going to fight with each other. I don't know how they're going to deal with it. They're going to have to be civil to one another because they've been allies all these years, Galen. But at the same time, they're each competing for the same group. I mean, you've been there. You were in for office. You know what that's like when everybody's going for the same faction. You, how do you do it? Are you, you're nice to each other, but at the same time, you got a little nastiness you, you sneak in, what, you, a little progressive. Uh, you know, how do you do it? Passive aggressive. You know, how do you do, how do, you do it? 
Um, I would I stayed cordial. I just stuck I stuck to my game plan and my talking points and what I brought to the table. I never ever focused on the other candidates. I never talked, you know, mentioned them or anything. I was specifically running against the the uh, commissioner, and so that's how I, I that's how I did it. So your advice to Bernie and uh, Elizabeth Warren. <laughs> I don't know if I have any advice to them because, you know, people, they're going to do what, you know, Bernie's going to do what Bernie's going to do. Exactly. <laughs> um, and so, and I won't be watching the debates. So, you know, Gaylon, are you going to be watching the debates? No, Ben, I'm going to be at a concert. Oh, okay. Well, we can watch them after the concert. <laughs> uh, all right. So number six here, can Steve Bullock bust the governor's slump? This comes from CNN.com. There will be one new face on the stage over these next 48 hours. Montana Governor Steve Bullock. Bullock's late entry into the race saw him closed out of the Miami debates, but he qualified for the Detroit stage and will on Tuesday night be given his introduction to a national audience of Democratic voters. So Steve Bullock, the yeah, debut saw- of Steve Bullock. We talked about him earlier in the show, and and this is the gentleman who's going to be positioning himself as a Democrat who can appeal to Trump voters uh, as a governor of Montana, where it's a red state. And so that will be his appeal. He's going to have a very limited time to make that appeal. This is his introduction to Democratic voters, because as Dennis just pointed out, he was not in the first debate. So I don't know he's going to have to talk really fast or pull a, a de Blasio. I don't know if you saw the first debate again, but de Blasio, just, his tactic was just to yell and blurt things out, the mayor of New York, yell and blurt things out. So uh, this gentleman is going to try to present himself as the kind of Democrat that Trump vote voters would support. So that was number six. We'll do the uh, other uh, five before we head out of here. Back to you, Ben. All right, very good. Galen Alcarez, community activist, former poli- uh, political candidate uh, for Cook County uh, uh, Commissioner. And uh, Galen, I, when I, when I uh, was talking to you before the show, two things to talk about in our city. Uh, crime and corruption just popped off the, the top of the list. And uh, crime, the news... Uh, is very distressing in the front page of the Sun-Times. Two mothers murdered in drive-by. Chantel Grant and Andrea Stoudemire worked with Mothers Against Senseless Killings to stop gun violence in the Gresham neighborhood on Friday night. It cost them their lives. You know, I mean, all the murder is upsetting, but this one in particular going after activists who were trying to take a stand in a drive-by shooting. I don't know. It's so so senseless. I don't even know where to begin. All of the crime is senseless. Um, yeah, it's it's pretty tragic. I, every time, every single day, all day, the news has horror stories about something or another. And, I mean, it's distressing. What can you do? You know, you want to be a part of the solution. And so you go out there and you work for your community you stand up for your community and then something like this happens but just to kind of piggyback off of your previous guest talking about poverty and inequity is this is where this crime is coming from Mm -hmm. and so you have marginalized communities that absolutely have no nothing to live for you have people out there that have nothing to live for they they don't have anything to kind of look forward to and they don't have any resources. And so then you see carjackings go up. And in carjackings, people are gonna get hurt or get killed. Um, you see people hanging out on the corners, selling drugs or selling whatever, 
so that they can make money. You don't you don't have enough of anything in the communities that really need it, which is one of the reasons why I was so aggravated by behind the whole Lincoln Yards vote, because you had black aldermen in these poor neighborhoods voting for that. But they don't vote for things in their communities. They don't say, hey, you you want my vote and you want my support, then we're going to have to do some stuff in my community. No, they don't do that. And so this is what you have. You this is this is the outcome of all that. When I was growing up, we looked forward to summer, you know, get out of school summer because we could get summer jobs. Like every kid was working a summer job. You know, we had plenty of places to go shop in our neighborhoods where we would cash our little $160 check from CETA program and go buy some jeans at a corner store. You don't have that stuff anymore. And so when you don't have these things, you take away everything, you take away mental health clinics, you uh, close black and brown schools only in those neighborhoods on south and west sides. You make sure that uh, economic development is stalled and doesn't happen. Um, you get all of this stuff. This is this is the outgrowth of all of this. It's tragic. It's sad. Yeah, and you know it's funny. I'm listening to you, and this has been this has been a a charge. A levied, a leveled against the city of Chicago for as long as I can remember. And also, I always say this to people, Chicago's a very violent city. There's been crime in the city of Chicago forever. And so I never understood why the obvious connection between lack of jobs and lack of investment uh, and crime is never made uh, in, in a very practical, pragmatic way. So you talk about the TIF program, the largest economic development program the city has, the largest source of discretionary income that the city has. And yet most of it is spent on neighborhoods that are already doing well. Right. So they don't spend it on uh, south or west side neighborhoods that are really struggling. Exactly. The princess, and then the aldermen vote for the program. Exactly. Exactly. We live in a racist city. Ben, that's what it all boils down to, you know, because anytime you see this is the issue and this is the problem and you do everything to avoid making a solution to that problem, that's the issue. And we see it for what it is. And of course, you're going to have those, uh, you know, kiss butt aldermen, black aldermen, that's going to do whatever master says because you know, they're getting kickbacks. And so, yeah, we've got, you know, our alderman that's voting for this stuff, but, you know, they don't have resources in the neighborhoods. Uh, you did a video, I saw it on Facebook. Talk up a little bit about it. You're a runner, uh, and uh, it was a video you shot. I think you were going out for a run. Talk about that video that you shot. So a couple of years ago, um, and this is like nothing new, but, you know, our kids went to Franklin Fine Arts. I'm big into art. I love art. Art changes neighborhoods. Art changes lives. And because I grew up on the north side, I know what is possible, what, what we could have. And I'm disturbed 
when I'm running through the neighborhood, because I'm training for marathons. So when I'm running through the neighborhoods, I've got to run over broken glass. I've got to run over dirty, dark Vidox with tons of garbage under there. Um, but that's not like that. If I go up on Wilson and run through the, the Vidoc and or, you know, over in High Park, I don't see that same thing. It's like it really is a tale of two cities. And so... I was stopped in um, in the park by an, a, re, a reporter with WBZ a couple of years ago, and they were asking me, you know, what problems do you know do you ha- have or any question you could ask or whatever. Wait, tell me, you just happened to be running to the park and some random reporter came up to you, or yes. did he know you were going to be there? No, they didn't know I was going to be there. So they, it was like a man on the street interview, or in this case, a woman on the it street. It was a woman on the street and her her other person that was with her. Okay. I was in Jesse Owens Park. I was in the grass. I was trying to put some um, golf. I was pretend, pretending like I was golfing. <laughs> I was trying to learn how to do it. But anyway, that's okay. another story. Okay. Um, and she saw me and she walked up to me and yeah. she asked me. And she was like, you know, if you ask answer these questions, you know, you might your question might get onto our station. Mm -hmm. And um, so I asked the question, like that question about Vidox. I I had a series of questions, but that one stood out to them. And then they kind of ran this social media contest where it's like, which question is the best for us to actually cover? And they picked, you know, people voted and that question was picked. And then the reporter came out, you know, interviewed me at home. We walked down to the Vidoc, one of the Vidocs. He took pictures. We talked there. And it's been kind of like a passion of mine because they look horrible. Mm-hmm. They look absolutely horrible. And I have to run through this. Um, and so uh, quite conveniently during the last automatic election, one of the Vidocs got cleaned up, uh, painted, and it's new lights. Um, but there's other Vidocs there as well. Um, and why can't we just put like artwork or something on the walls or do something? Like mm-hmm. it's all these amazing ideas or put art in our communities. You know, why can't we have the same type of stuff? It, because we don't have elected officials that are visionaries. We have just the, you know, old machine people that got their positions because they relative or whatever. And they just want to keep a paycheck. And so that's the reason why we have the stuff. And and those people are connected to the seniors that vote in the neighborhoods. And a lot of those retirees, you know, got their jobs through Stroger. And so it's all this whole historical crap that it's like, come on. When are y'all going to, you know, change some stuff around? This is This stuff is so played out. Which leads into the whole Burke thing. Ed Burke, Alderman Ed Burke. Yeah. Uh, John Cass had a real good article some time ago about he was interviewing David Axelrod. And it was basically like, David was like, that time has come and gone. Burke should have let that go. Like, they don't do that type of politics no more. You know, and so that's how he pretty much got caught up, is because he's hanging on to a 50 year old. system in his head and it's not operating like that anymore it's they're not saying they're not stealing no more it's not operating like that anymore and so you know you you got all this corruption that's happening 
and then we wonder why, you know, stuff like that is on the front of the paper. Yeah. I, I, I would just say this to David Axelrod, uh, who supported Mayor Richard M. Daley all those years. Ed Burke was running the, the same thing during those years. And it was no more right in the 90s than it is. Not like something happened in 2019. Exactly. Uh, all of a sudden, no, it's it's wrong. You know, it, it was exactly. just as wrong to have... Uh, the, Conflict of interest uh, as a property tax lawyer, uh, shaking down people. Exactly. Trying to, uh, so in the nineties, as it was in the O's. So Ex- exactly. And and speaking of the nineties, I and mean, when you're talking about we live in a violent city, mm-hmm. you know, the crime back in the nineties was was higher than it is now. We're seeing it more because of this dismantle of the Chicago housing developments. And so then you had all these gangs and everything filtered out into neighborhoods and and territorial things were happening. And so it actually was higher back then than yeah. it is now. No, it was, yeah. it's, I, I, I point this out all the time. I moved to Chicago in 1981, Galen, and uh, there was crime in the city of Chicago. Those two policemen were shot on the south side of Chicago. I think it was 1982. Uh, it's like the city, the, the tension that existed in the city. That's when Burge uh, was, you know, they were dragging in black people and arresting them for uh, just the, the reaction to, to those two murders. It was, it was an eye-opening experience for me. I wasn't, I was a babe in the woods, you know what I mean? I wasn't. Uh, a hardened Chicagoan. And uh, so, yeah, it's just nothing new about it, but that you're right. You hit it on the head, that attitude that Chicago has. It's like, you know, we can cut a corner or we could shake someone down or we know this one so we can get a little piece off the top. That's so Chicago. Now you, you, uh, you mentioned this, and uh, I've known Galen for a while, and I want to say a many years because she's a lot younger than I am. Uh, <laughs> but um, you, you're a Northsider, and uh, it was so funny because Mexico, who was just in the studio, uh, is lives in Hyde Park now, but she's a Northsider. People don't realize it. There were a lot of black people on the North Side of Chicago. Mm-hmm. Back in the 80s, yeah. 70s, exactly, uh, and 90s, and now you're a South Sider. But talk about the difference between the North and South Side. Okay, so my deal was um, we grew up off of 79th Street, and then when I went to high school, we moved to the North Side. And that was all fueled by the death of my father, so we ended up moving to the North Side. We found ourselves up behind Wrigley Field, one of our first North Side apartments, and then we moved down into Lincoln Park, actually right across from Newberry School. Um, and then moved over into, you know, off Eugenie and so forth. And that's how I grew up. And then I raised my kids over there. So I've been back on the South Side for 10 years, but I still really consider myself a North Sider in a lot, in a lot of ways. But the differences are stark. Like there is n- absolutely no comparison. Even when you go down into High Park South Side that has a lot of resources, it's still not the same as the North Side. Like on the North Side, I never, ever was fearful about like even walking down the street to go to a 24-hour Walgreens or a 24-hour Starbucks. You know, there was always transportation all times of the night. You know, there's always people out on the street. Not saying that crime can't happen anywhere because it definitely can. But in terms of all the resources, I mean, whatever I wanted to eat, wherever I wanted to shop, there's absolutely no comparison. Where I'm at, I really have to drive. There's no 
there is a 24-hour CVS up on 87th and Stony, but there's nothing else that would be like a 24-hour thing. Um, and you know, grocery stores, the jewels, and the Pete's. Um, but they can put additional, even if you go further southwest into Evergreen Park, they can put all these resources every place, but not on the south side. Like, why can't we have some bookstores, some coffee, tea shops, a, a UPS store, um, just all those things, you know, but we don't. And that is really um, the fault of the elected officials. When you, what, and how so? Because they are not visionaries and they don't advocate for their communities the way they should. Um, they don't stand up for their communities the way they should. Everything is about what they can get out of the deal. Because, you know, out of all the things that you can think about, Michelle Harris puts uh, wants uh, another senior citizen home on 95th and Stone, like almost night, this like 94th and Stony, with a, a restaurant that's going to be 24 hours, um, a restaurant, I, Huddle House or whatever it's called, which has a background in racial discrimination from the South. So that's going to be the restaurant that's going to be on the ground level of a senior home. Like, why? That's not even visionary. That, what, that doesn't even make sense. That whole area right there, if you've ever tried to drive through there or, uh, after work, you can't. Like, I go all the way around another whole way to avoid that area. So that's going to be a senior. You know where uh, Bronzeville Children's Museum is right there at the corner? Mm -hmm. It's going to be that open lot that's right next to that. That's where it's going to be. And they're in the process of building that. But that developer is a big contributor to Michelle Harris's campaign. And so you've got people that are always just doing stuff because they get something out of it, not for the good of their community or their people. I don't understand, like in my, it has to be self-hatred going on because I don't understand how you can possibly look at your community I remember riding through there with my grandparents when I was younger. And that was a very upscale community. And you wanted to live over there. And you really felt like this is where, you know, blacks that were making it lived. That place looks horrible, you know. And so how do you even think, like, that's okay? Like, how does that even look right to you? Pawn shops or cash advanced places, you know, tons of fast food. I mean, how is that even visionary or right or acceptable? That's Galen Alcaraz. I'm Ben Jarofsky. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. Did you know that 40% of the people in Illinois opt to be cremated? Well, it's true. And Chicagoland Cremation Options honors their wishes by providing cremation services directly to the general public. Chicagoland Cremation Options provides an affordable, ethical, and easy cremation arrangement whether in person or online. Save thousands and streamline the process by going directly to Chicagoland Cremation Options. It's a family-owned business operated by my good friend, Douglas Klein. Here's how you reach them. ChicagolandCremationOptions.com. One more time. ChicagolandCremationOptions.com. Ms. Preckwinkle, what song makes you want to get up and dance? 
<laughs> a change gonna come. Ms. Lightfoot, what song makes you sing out loud in the car? Uh, Just One Victory by Todd Rundgren. What do you do to relax? Um, Not I, this. I know yeah. either one of you. I, I, Go ahead. I'm a sports nut. So I've got like every sports act, uh, Bleacher Report, ESPN. Um, I pay uh, close attention. My White Sox are, are queuing up, so I'm excited about that. And I'm looking forward to a new bear season as well. Ms. Preckwinkle, what do you do to relax? You know, I'm a, I'm a history teacher by profession, and I, I love reading biography, so I do that. And as a history teacher, I love antique shows and antique fairs. Oh, Tony Preckwinkle <laughs> loves antiques. Well, there's something I need to tell yeah. Tony Preckwinkle if she's listed. Okay. Probably not at all. Today's Ben Jarowski show is brought to you in part by Green Element Resale. It's a thrift shop located at 6241 North Broadway. And Tony Preckwinkle, it's amazing. <laughs> Furniture, appliances, lamps, books, clothes, electronics, <laughs> antiques. Yeah, it is a thrift shop, but it's the only thrift shop in Chicago that helps bring you the Ben Jarowski show. So if if you're ever on Broadway between Granville and Devon, tell them thank you and go check out Green Element Resale. I'm talking to you too, Tony. 6241 North Broadway and find more information at greenelementresale.com. It's Green Element Resale. I guarantee when you go, you're going to save tons. Driving you. Oh my, of money. <laughs> Now back to the Ben Jarofsky show. Yeah, I forgot that a little bit. That was from the debate uh, where Lori Lightfoot uh, was saying, I'm looking forward to that White Sox season. Yeah, how's it looking, Lori? They're not doing so well. I, I, I like the White Sox as much as the next person, but that's just a fact. They're not doing that well. And I'm sure she's jumped off that bandwagon and is now getting ready for the Bears season. Caitlin uh, Alcarez in the studio with me, community activist from the South Side, although she's originally a North Sider. In my mind, she'll always be a North Sider. Uh, and uh, I don't care where she lives. She's just such a North Sider and so <laughs> many ways galen alcaraz uh before i bring uh galen back d what you got for me boy all right well you said we're gonna do this here the six things to watch on night one tonight of cnn's democratic presidential debate in detroit we did number six and number six was steve bullock can steve bullock uh make a name for himself remember he was not in the last debate That's right and ben what was your answer on that with steve bullock uh he can make a name for himself by yelling i guess he's got <laughs> about two minutes it's... a lot of yelling yeah. according to ben <laughs> so we did number six yeah. so you know what that means it's time for number five number Good five math. mayor pete can Mayor Pete Buttigieg take the next step? Buttigieg's candidacy is at a crossroads. The South Bend mayor is printing campaign cash, but his embrace of big dollar donors to supplement his grassroots support makes it difficult, oh my, to measure precisely where he stands. Despite the strong fundraising numbers, he's mostly seen as polling flatten out his campaign. Uh, though fundamentally strong so far out from Iowa caucuses, has yet to carve out a clear base of Support amid that uncertainty, today's debate, uh, tonight's debate, could represent a turning point. What say you, Ben? Well, uh, he's going to have to tie himself to Frederick Douglass, and let me explain this one. Pete Buttigieg uh, decided he was going to run uh, for president of the United States, uh, using as a platform his position as mayor of South Bend, Indiana, and he does not have a very good relationship to put him mildly with the black people who live in South Bend, Indiana. Last I looked, Galen Alcarez, black people play a 
pretty significant role in my beloved Democratic Party. You cannot possibly win the Democratic nomination unless you get some black people to vote for you, Galen Alcarez. It's just a fact. All right. Last I looked, he was at approximately zero percent among black people. Zero, okay? <laughs> Galen, if Galen announced she was running for president right now, she'd be above zero among black voters, okay? Right now, Galen, I announced I'd be above zero. So all the kids I went to high school with would vote for me. Uh, so I, I don't know what he's going to do. You know, he came out with this. I love, he had this plan. He named it for Frederick Douglass, uh, the, uh, the great uh, activist and uh, uh, orator and thinker and writer uh, from the 19th century. And um, so good luck with that one, Mayor Pete. Uh, so, you know, he's really good at fundraising. I'll give him that. So, you know. All right, so number five was Mayor Pete on to number four. According to CNN, number four is the man who won't be there, Joe Biden. (laughs) Biden Uh. figures to have his hands full on night two, but he will also be present as conjured up by his rivals on Tuesday, especially when it comes to health care. It says here the Sanders campaign has directed the lion's share of its attacks at the former vice president, who has been openly and sometimes mockingly skeptical of the party's move left and specifically the political prospects of Medicare for all. Yeah, what he's going to have to do tomorrow. We'll be talking about this tomorrow because Grandpa Joe will be on the stage tomorrow against Kamala Harris. Hold on, I want a little more of that Kamala Kool-Aid. Oh, he loves Kamala Harris. Drink mm. that Kool-Aid, buddy. <laughs> oh, I'm drinking that Kamala Kool-Aid, Galen. All right. Uh, Joe Biden's going to be dealing with Kamala tomorrow. We'll talk about that tomorrow. All right, on to number three. <laughs> number three yeah. here. So the six things to watch for in tonight's debate. We just mentioned number four, Joe Biden. Number three, the progressive platform on trial. Medicare for all, the Green New Deal, free college, student debt forgiveness, stricter financial regulation, new taxes on the wealthiest Americans, trade and U.S. policy in the Middle East. It will all come under intense scrutiny tonight. Yeah. Uh, Well, okay. I'm for all those things. Um, I'm basically a a Bernie Sanders Democrat. I'm a lefty. Uh, But the reality is you're going to watch whoever wins, Galen, and you know it. You've been watching politics for a while. As soon as that nomination is uh, gained, he or she will move to the center. And most of those uh, programs will be quietly dropped or modified a little bit you know come on that's politics right you got to move to the center that's just sort of 101 so um you know they'll defend it tonight i think elizabeth warren and bernie sanders will be battling it out on that one but uh, eventually and well i don't know if bernie i can't imagine bernie moving to the center i can't imagine that one in a million years you know what i'm saying galen yeah yeah he's he's been believing this for a long time so if someone is not going to move to the center it'll be bernie sanders all right, we did number three. Time now for number two. And you knew that was next. <laughs> yeah. All right, uh, up next, Beto O'Rourke. Oh. O'Rourke rode into the campaign with a massive first quarter fundraising haul and the affection of Democrats around the country following his energetic and innovative, uh, a bit unsuccessful Senate campaign. But after a few months on the national stage, the energy is running low and O'Rourke will need to turn it up and reinsert himself into the heat of the primary fight. Yeah, what did Candace Castillo say on this very show? Should have run for senator, Beto. I agree with her. All right, and finally, it is time for, we've did number six, five, four, number three, and two. So, yeah, up next is 
number one. Oh, man, the six <laughs> things to look forward to tonight's debate, and I think everybody knows what it is. Toe-to-toe or side-by-side, asks CNN. Warren and Sanders share the stage. Yeah, we've been talking about that all day, and this will be their opportunity to make their case to the left side of the Democratic Party. Uh, Bernie Sanders led the way in 2016. Many of the positions that he took, which seemed so outrageous to many people in this country in 2016, are now part and parcel of the Democratic Party. And Elizabeth Warden supported him all the time, uh, all these positions. So she's been right there on the front lines on almost every single important progressive issue. And now she's going to have to uh, claim you know, her mantle as the leader of progressive Democrats. So uh, like I said to, to Galen, this will be interesting. Can they do this in a civil way? Uh, where they acknowledge, you know, the uh, the achievements and the accomplishments of the others, or will they just go toe-to-toe and start tearing each other apart? I hope they do it the former, you know what I mean? They're civil because they were allies on almost all these issues, but we shall see. Go she's check got out. a plan for that. I'll watch she's tonight. She's got a plan oh, for yeah. that. Okay. Okay. She does. She'll have she's a plan good. for that. Yeah. She'll be ready. Uh, check out tonight's debates on CNN, uh, or, you know, look, find them online. Tomorrow we're going to be talking about it. Feel free to weigh in on our social media pages at Benny J Show, B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J Show, J-O-R-A-V as in victory, S-K-Y. All right, very good job, D. All right, Galen. now uh, something you said before uh, we, we went to break, and I and I t- we talked about this off air. Uh, you were talking about um, uh, how bad the neighborhood looks, and uh, I know where you're coming from when you're speaking from your heart when you say that. Donald John Trump, President of the United States, just tweeted it out about Baltimore. Uh, when you hear Donald Trump say what he says, uh, and you hear, you know, how you feel about it. What is the difference in the way you articulate it and the way Donald Trump does? Well, number one, Donald Trump is a racist, so he's not saying it from a place of, you know, concerned about people or actually what's happening in the neighborhoods. Um, he's just doing stuff to get like reactions, um, to tweet, um, to rile up his base. And so, and, and hatred rouse up his base. And so that, you know, his is, his is just different. I mean, I don't really pay him and what he says and what he's tweeting a whole lot of attention because that's what he wants. He wants attention. Um, and every time we give him that, it feeds into his whole ego thing. And so he's doing it for a totally different reason. He's not doing it you know, coming from a, a place, a community activist or coming from a place where he cares about uh, a community and, and the people that live in that community. I argue that we have to pay attention and respond to Donald Trump because I don't want to see what he says normalized and accept it as just uh, routine. Uh, but, they are, but they are normalizing it. His, his base, they are normalizing yeah. it. It's like, you know, we have come out, we have said stuff we are we have you know been countering his stuff and still people you know fake news like you know where did you know where did that come from you know so that's all this stuff is is normalized amongst his base yeah no but i'm saying i don't want to normalize i don't want future presidents to feel they could do the same thing he's the it's that he's just some guy in a corner he's the president of the united states he's tweeting it out that's like official u.s policy it's so bizarre i mean it's just it it like for instance let's say he actually cared about what was happening in baltimore he's not joe on the corner he's the president of the united states he could do something about it do you follow what i'm saying like right. 
he controls the federal purse strings if he wanted to. Right. He could rebuild Baltimore. You know, all the money that he's spending on the wall, he could spend it in Baltimore. Right. But instead, he just thought, what a hellhole. You know what I'm saying? So uh, that's why I don't think we should tolerate it. And that that's why I think people should speak up against it. Well, people are going to continue to speak up against it. Um, but there's always going to be, you know, people that would be like, he's nuts and he's got a mental health problem and let's just hurry up and get through mm -hmm. his term. Uh, and uh, so what about that? Are you optimistic about getting uh, through his term? Do you think that uh, Donald Trump can be defeated in uh, next year? Oh, he most definitely can be defeated. Um, but the Democrats have to really, you know, bring a game, you know, to the table. And, you know, they just got to bring a game, which means yeah, what does they, that mean? which, yeah. you know, they've got to court the black vote, but particularly the black women vote, you know, because that's one of the, the key things that uh, that pushes a lot of these elections over the edge in these cities is black women voters. And so that's that's the game that has to that has to happen. You see how Hillary was doing it real tough, you know, on on black women. So that's what ha has to happen and also um you know, young people. So young people um and black women are are I think crucial um to this whole outcome. Mm -hmm. Do you still have the admiration that you had for uh uh, the Barack Obama, uh, the Barack Obama, Joe Biden team uh, from, oh God, it seems like centuries ago, but it was only uh, three years ago. So many people that come through the studio, Galen, are critical of what Obama did. They're critical of what Bill Clinton, really hard to find anybody who supports Bill Clinton. I got a lot of issues with Bill Clinton. Right. Uh, what's your attitude when you look at these Democratic leaders? And I know, because I knew you back in the night, we we talk about Clinton. We would, right. Uh, right. we watched Obama's rise. Are you, do, right. you, do you still have a positive attitude about him? No, I don't. And, um, you know, for a lot of reasons, but I think that in terms of like that energy when he first ran, all that energy and yes we can and everybody was coming together, that's the type of energy that I want again and a lot of people want again. Um, but I just, I don't think that um, he operated at his best and, and maybe his best was never what we thought it was. You know what I'm saying? And so maybe, you know, Barack was always, you know, this moderate and, you know, however he was going to vote and not vote, but, you know, pass things or whatever. That's how he was. I think my biggest thing, though, is how it played out with his church and the, the pastor that brought him to Christ um, and how Michelle actually has something in her book that still criticizes Reverend Wright. So those things right there really, really stick out for me. On top of all the other stuff, like, you know, it was drone killings when Barack was in office. It was it was all these things that's happening now. Um, but that personal thing um, with Reverend Wright and the church, which uh, for full disclosure, I'm a member of, um, really bothers me and for Michelle to even have something in her latest book talking about that just really bothers me so that makes me think of them in a whole different light now 
uh, yeah, Obama had to distance himself to put it mildly. It's, it's maybe ancient history, a lot of people, but there are a lot of people in Chicago who have not forgotten. In 2008, uh, Barack Obama distanced himself from Reverend Wright because the world discovered that Reverend Wright uh, had made some quote unquote controversial statements and speeches. It's, I always kind of enjoyed his sermons. I wish Reverend Wright, my only criticism of Reverend Wright, uh, was very local cr- criticism. I wish he'd more, been more outspoken in terms of Chicago politics. Uh, he didn't really get involved in Chicago politics. Mo- most ministers, I'd have to say, in the city of Chicago, many ministers stay out of Chicago politics because they need the city's blessings for whatever development deals they have going right. on. So, but uh, yeah, uh, Barack Obama distanced himself. Some would say he threw Reverend Wright under the bus. Exactly. All right, Galen Alcaraz is my guest. Thank you so much for coming by, Galen. And I also want to thank Amisha Patel, was my guest uh, a little earlier, uh, Mexico Williams as well. Uh, and uh, Danielle uh, DeGrasse Alston, her book, We Are the Kids in Africa, Diary of an American Girl, uh, excellent book. She was our guest uh, at uh, 1.30. Leah did an outstanding job. And, of course, the man, the myth, the legend. And your daughter, Rachel, was great. Rachel, what happened to Rachel? She went. I think she went out for lunch with Danielle. Uh, Rachel did a great job as well. And, of course, the man, the myth, the legend, the doctor from Alton, Illinois, the pride and joy of Alton, Illinois. Do you know what they call him back in Old Illinois? What? They call him White Lightning. That's what they call him. <laughs> yes, they do. Dr. D, give yourself a raise. Take another petty cash. See you tomorrow, everybody. <laughs> and remember, you can download previous Ben Jarofsky shows and bonus interviews at both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader websites, chicago.suntimes.com, chicagoreader.com, and wherever else you download your favorite podcasts downloaders we live stream this program yes it's true tuesdays through fridays one until 3 p.m central time once again at both chicago sun times and chicago reader websites check us out on social media at benny j show b-e-n-n-y the letter j show watch the debate weigh in with your thoughts we'll be talking about it all day tomorrow